We're 3D projection, invented in the 21st century. The 21st century? Mm. That's right, sir. It was invented long ago. We're from the 23rd century. 2204, if you wish to be exact. The Earth Union has sent us here to see you today. So, the UFO is... Men of your time would call our ship a time machine, but not us. We call it our mothership. So, the ship is a time machine. Yes, it was invented 200 years from now. It is of great use to us. So, so you're from the future. I understand. You've come back to talk to us. What do you want? First off, tomorrow morning, we'd like to have a meeting with your country's prime minister. And we hope that you two will help arrange it for us. Mm -hmm. Welcome to The Bloody Pit. I am Rod Barnett. I'm Troy Gwynn. And this is a very special episode. Cue the strings. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yes, indeed. It's the 50th episode of The Bloody Pit. And if you had told me uh, uh, 25 years ago that eventually this podcast would reach (laughs) to 50 episodes, uh, it's not quite been that long, folks, but it's been longer than it probably should have been, mainly because the first couple of years of this podcast were very haphazard. I Never envisioned this as being a podcast with any kind of regular schedule. And uh, if you have been waiting, what, over a month now for the next episode after the Mr. Super Invisible episode, I'm sure that you realize that I'm back to whenever I get it done is when you get the podcast. (laughs) But we have a reason for that. There's a reason for that. But uh, first, let's take a moment to pause and go... Yay, 50. Yay, 50. Uh, if you want to send happy 50th cards to Rod, that's okay. Just do not put happy 50th anniversary or they'll be returned to you unopened. <laughs> because it's not the 50th anniversary. <laughs> no, no, he, that's a sore spot with you. It's no, not no, no, that's, that's, that's incorrect understanding of <laughs> the freaking English language, folks. The 50th anniversary means something has been around for 50 years. It has mm-hmm. not. Mm-hmm. And it is not correct to phrase it that way. That is right. And, and oh, I think if, God, uh, I'm an old bastard. <laughs> I think you're... Uh, if I remember right, your very first episode was simply just a listing of like what was your favorite films or something. Oh uh, yeah, it was my, my my ten favorite films. Um, mm. I just a, just a quick one off. It was a, a, about a forty five minute long podcast to kind of mm. dip my beak into something and try to see if I could do something solo. Mm. Uh, and then the third episode, I I did another ten favorite uh, mm. fi- another ten favorite films. And I did occasionally, after that, for the for a couple of years, I would occasionally do a solo episode where it was just me mm. talking about one topic or another and quickly learned that uh, I suck at that. <laughs> well, no, no, it's never fun to do a podcast by yourself. You know? it's, it's, uh, it's the, it really is the difference between having a conversation and mm. masturbating. I mean, no, uh, no, 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 I'm sorry. No, it's the difference between masturbating and having uh, actual mm. sex. Yeah, that's what I meant. That's that's where I was going Okay, well, with if, that mixed metaphor, so. <laughs> Do you remember what the first uh, what episode you did with with what was the first subject of that you did with somebody else? Oh, uh, uh, it's like yeah. I'm asking you when you lost your virginity. Uh, was, <laughs> what was your first time? First time oh, with someone else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh god, this has gotten sorted quickly. Uh, uh, I do believe it was the um, the your was it the you're the hunter from the future? Oh, that, that, do you, that you and me and Jeff. Yeah, did? yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Okay, yeah. I believe that was episode oh, really? number okay. two. At least I'm pretty cool. sure because that's one of the reasons that film. And uh, the differences between the shorter version mm-hmm. that got released theatrically and the mm-hmm. really long version that was originally put out on Italian television. You were that probably was, thinking, yeah. I can't handle do this by myself. Well, <laughs> no, that, that's reason. That's reason why I yanked you, you in. I knew that uh, I knew that Jeff was more mm-hmm. than willing to do it, and mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. really wanted to talk about that film because. Mm-hmm. 
I want more and more people to know about your the hunter from the future because it is a it's a it's a crazy great film but it is my dream if we can talk enough about star crash people and get a, a massive blu-ray yeah, with a, with a right. shit ton of extras released yeah. of star crash we need to do we need to do the same for thing your, for your come on it's got to be because your if we could ever get the full length cut of the film all you know, almost three and a half hours of it. It's just a beautiful thing to see, and it's just amazing. And if you listen mm-hmm. to that episode of the podcast, mm-hmm. you'll understand that it's just—it's an astonishing thing to pay attention to. Because God, the things they cut out to make it a, a, a ninety-minute film. Mm-hmm. Just, yeah. there, there's all these great monsters, oh, and this yeah. incredible action, and just <laughs> all this stuff. It's just so much fun, and mm-hmm. uh, so the idea of that. But I have to be honest, the uh, the podcast was just kind of this side thing mm-hmm. next to the next to the Nashi cast for a long time. Until about a year and a half ago, and uh, something happened. And uh, right around the time Randy Fox and I sat down and did the Westworld episode, suddenly a whole lot more people were paying attention to the podcast. Yeah. And suddenly we were getting a, a lot more downloads, a lot faster, and uh, people seemed much more interested in the show. And uh, it has not slacked off since then. So it doesn't really seem it doesn't really seem to matter what the the topic is. Mm-hmm. We get a lot of downloads, and of, yeah. of that, I am quite thrilled. Let me put it this way: when I can do an episode on a, 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 of this podcast focused on an incredibly obscure film called Mister Super Invisible, mm. and uh, more than two thousand people <laughs> want awesome. to want to hear about that, mm. that's nuts. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that shouldn't be that way. I'm, just, I'm, I'm really that's thrilled. That people, that's probably more people than actually saw it in the theater when it was when it was released. Yeah. <laughs> that would be that would be my freaking guess too. But well, the, you know, if you, uh, I was going to say for you personally too. Also, around that time, we we started running out of Nashi films to do on a regular basis. It became the point, yeah. you know, and so that probably also helped build the impetus for 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 doing more bloody pit episodes to kind of fill in that void where we couldn't yeah. do a Nashi film every month. You know, so, I agree. Cause, I agree. Cause we started running out of what we could get our hands on. Well, not just that. It's also, I love so many different types of films. Yeah. It's a strong desire to talk about a lot of different kinds of movies and the bloody pit is just this great big open sewer uh, that I can, mm-hmm. that I can pull anything out of and it yeah. doesn't really matter because there are no rules or restrictions you know the Nashi cast were keeping it to you know Paul Nashi and Spanish yeah. horror, yeah, uh, or just yeah mm. Spanish genre films, and that's that's all fine, well and good, and that's the way that should be. But the Bloody Pit, we can talk about anything, and mm. <sighs> yeah. yes, doesn't matter what country of origin, mm-hmm. uh, quality mm-hmm. level, mm-hmm. Uh, we mm-hmm. can talk about it here, and that's great. Uh, but one thing that we should take note of, which is that the reason that there has been a longer than um, anticipated blank spot mm-hmm. in the feed for the mm-hmm. Nashi cast mm-hmm. and the Bloody Pit mm-hmm. is that uh, Troy and I <clears throat> got a little side project that we uh, were asked to do, and uh, we were happy to do it. Mm-hmm. The fine folks at Mondo Macabro, the uh, video company, contacted us. And of course, if you are not aware of it now, you should be. Uh, they have uh, gotten their hands on the rights to release two Paul Nashi films, Inquisition and El Caminante, mm-hmm. uh, two fantastic uh, late 70s Paul Nashi films, both of which he d- wrote and directed, and right. they are um, phenomenal movies, neither of which have had real... Well, Inquisition got released on VHS years and years ago, of course, decades ago. Mm-hmm. But uh, El Caminante has never been released over here, and so it's very exciting to know that they were going to release those, and they asked us mm-hmm. to do a commentary track for Inquisition. Mm-hmm. We told them no, uh, because obviously we're insane. No, of course we told them yes. We told them yes. So uh, we try we, not to act too eager. You know, we 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 tried to act like we were thinking it over. 
<laughs> we are far too modest. Uh, but no, we uh, we agreed, and uh, we spent a fair amount of time getting ourselves uh, ready for and uh, researching and feeling uh, really, really unworthy of the no, entire phew. thing. Yeah. Uh, so we, we recorded a commentary track for Inquisition, which is going to be on the forthcoming Mondo Macabro Blu-ray. So yeah. Yeah. if you're wondering why we have been absent... That is the reason we had to take a little bit of time out to do that. And maybe if we, you know, if we ever get more of these, maybe we'll get to the point where we can, you know, we can just take these as as casually as we take our regular podcast. But in this case, we just the, one of the first things we said was, okay, we're canceling the podcast for the regular yeah. podcast for this month because we really had to to wrap our brains around uh, this very different experience of doing an audio commentary. But it was very educational and enlightening, and and uh, yeah. and it's a very different thing from doing our normal podcast. So, uh, uh, but we enjoyed it. Uh, uh, seems that Mondo Macabro enjoyed it. What we did as well. So, uh, we we hope that you will too. So we'll be looking forward to getting everybody's uh, feedback on that. But certainly, you know, you know when we when we started doing the podcast and really started getting into doing the podcast regularly. Occasionally, we'd throw out just when we were daydreaming about, you know, what could possibly come out of doing this podcast. We, we knew it wasn't going to be money and chicks, you know, but we <laughs> but we, we thought like, you know, it would be nice to one day get a shot at doing an audio commentary or possibly, uh, you know, be maybe asked to be guests at a convention to do a presentation on, on Paul Nashie or something yeah, like that. Something like I'm that. throwing that out there, too, because, hey, if one thing's possible, oh, well, yeah. you know, just let it circuit, let it start to cycle out well, there. Well, if, if we're going to toss those things out, let's once again mention the money and chicks. Yeah, well, yeah, let's throw it out there. Money, chicks, <laughs> yeah. you know, we'll say it a few times so it'll get, yeah, kind of get out hey, there. Hey, so anyway, but yes, uh, so that's, I, we're both, we're both very, uh, very honored and pleased to have gotten the chance to do this, and we look forward to uh, hearing what people think of our, our first ever audio commentary. Uh, I am more than ready to, uh, I'm more than prepared. For the slings and arrows. Oh, and, uh, <laughs> yes, yes. It's a very different thing. Yeah. People people praise up and down for a, uh, for a mm. podcast, but podcasts, mm. they're free. They're like yeah, the wind. Yeah. Uh, people get a sense of ownership once they've mm. bought something and mm. your voice comes out of the speakers on yeah. something they bought. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I have a tendency to believe that uh, we're going to have more than a few people who ask wonder, for the money back. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> well, no, <laughs> no. Uh, I don't know necessarily that. I think that we probably will hear from we're a few people. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, we're going to get rained. We're going to think. Who are these two redneck fucktards <laughs> who are talking about Paul Nashie and mispronouncing Spanish names and <laughs> yeah. and, and cracking stupid mm-hmm. jokes? Mm-hmm. And, yeah, yeah. I know. It's, it's <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, Inquisition's a great film and. It can survive our attempts mm, at so. trying to provide more information about the film and kind of put it in context and mm-hmm. delve into the history of the period at which it's depicting, but mm-hmm. I'm ready for the criticisms. Mm-hmm. I know I will wilt. I'm sure there will be more than a few <laughs> nights where I curl up in a crying F- ball. Fetal position, yeah. yeah, it's yeah like... I will. But <laughs> here it comes, folks. All right. Our, the the, the Natchy Casts first commentary track and we're fearful of it but tonight what are we going to talk about tonight tonight is a very different thing and i hope that we haven't run you off if you came here looking to hear about godzilla versus king Ghidorah or Ghidorah. Mm-hmm. we are here to talk about that tonight and that is going to be what you're mm-hmm. going to hear i it's, promise yes it. it's the final episode in our Ghidra files yes 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 uh 1991's mm-hmm. king Ghidra film Godzilla versus King Ghidorah. Um, I'm not gonna not gonna make this up. I'm not gonna pretend. I'm gonna tell you up front. I love this movie, and I have a personalized story to explain to you just how important this particular film oh, is to me. I look forward to hearing that. It's it's not a great big story, but I'll tell you after the break, folks. We're gonna take a quick break. We'll come right back, and we'll dive into this film. 
We let things pile up in the DVR. We add them to our queues. We wait for the DVDs and Blu-rays. We time shift. The Time Shifters podcast. Sci-fi, horror, fantasy, superheroes, comedy, action, film, television, maybe some not-so-current events. Find us on iTunes or at timeshifterspodcast.com. spine-tingling, nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster Kid Radio. Here are your hosts, Derek M. Cook, and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classic and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher. Or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Bryce, and Joel Hodgson. Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival. Classic Monsters, Modern Talk, and the head of Rondo Hatton. Only on Monster Kid Radio. Godzilla vs. King Ghidorah, 1991. Ah, yes. Mm -hmm. So this was the 18th Godzilla film and the third film in the Heisei series. Right. I love this movie. Mm -hmm. And, uh, of course, it didn't get released... It didn't get released theatrically in the United States. The, Mm -hmm. The... there, the only there was only one of the Heisei trilogy uh, series of films. Uh, one, there was seven of them, and the only one that got a release here mm-hmm. was in very butchered form. Of course, yeah. Godzilla nineteen eighty four exactly yeah was released here as Godzilla eighty five mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. with uh, Raymond Burr scenes and mm-hmm. Doctor Pepper and all mm-hmm. the all the things that go along with that. And then the film after that was four years after the fact, uh, five years after the fact actually. Right. Yeah. Uh, Godzilla versus Biollante in nineteen eighty nine. And then this came along two yes. years later, and right. uh, luckily, uh, throughout the '90s, we got a an ongoing series of uh, fr- from that point on four more films before they close it off with the Godzilla versus Destroya. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm going to tell you right now the little story that I have that's yeah, that, I relate, that relates to this film is um, growing up. Uh, I didn't see all of the Godzilla films. I saw a few as a kid, mm-hmm. as a as a as a youngster, mm-hmm. but was rather disdainful of them. Didn't pay that much attention to them. Thought they were, you know, entertaining for what they were, but didn't mm-hmm. didn't bother that much with them. Mm-hmm. That changed in the 1990s. I do believe Cinemax showed Godzilla vs. Biollante mm-hmm. 
And for some reason, yeah. I, I remember being able to see it widescreen and really enjoying that movie. And that was around 1990, somewhere around in there, if memory serves, 90, 91. I can't remember exactly when Cinemax got their hands on it. But well, that was the famous thing about Godzilla vs. Biollante is that when it got a video release, the fact, the very fact that it was widescreen at a time that was still before that became, you know, the standard. Kind of, yeah. the standard. And the, the theory is that they literally threw it out so quickly that they didn't even bother to go through the scanning, panning, and scan. That's how it actually managed to <laughs> sneak out on the store's widescreen was, you know, was simply because the product itself was just pushed through and and, and thrown out on the shelves that quickly, that <laughs> which, which worked out, which worked out great for us. Great I for mean, us. It was, yeah. <laughs> so around the early '90s, I'm getting to see Godzilla versus Biollante, and I was like, oh, that's well, that's pretty cool. That's mm-hmm. nice. Mm-hmm. But then I started going to a lot of science fiction conventions in mm. the 1990s. The mm. early, like, nine, like 88 is when I first started. By right. the early 90s, I was going to them on a pretty regular basis. And one of the things that showed up in droves at science fiction conventions are people who should not be dressed that way. No, uh, <laughs> no actually, I mean, uh, that would be bootleggers. Mm-hmm. Back in the days of VHS bootleggers, of course, those mm-hmm. those things still exist, but they've mm-hmm. kind of migrated to DVD-R. Mm-hmm. And um, I, being a movie nut, dove in head first. Mm-hmm. And I discovered this videotape from a bootlegger that contained this movie, Godzilla vs. King Ghidorah. Oh, yeah. I had no idea, but and I don't remember exactly what year this was. I've got to be honest. I think it was mm-hmm. probably mid-'93, 92, 94. I have no recollection of exactly when it was. But bought it, mm-hmm. took it home, watched it. The subtitles were serviceable. <laughs> yeah. That's the best I can do. Is yeah. the, I remember the subtitles being serviceable. Mm-hmm. But the movie itself kicked me in the face. Yeah. Loved it. Mm-hmm. And I've loved this film ever mm-hmm. since. I rewatched it about a year ago. Mm-hmm. I've rewatched it now to, mm-hmm. to, to, get, to get ready to talk to people about this thing tonight. And I mm-hmm. love this film. And it was after that that I went out of my way to buy bootlegs of all of the Heisei series as yeah. they were coming out in the sure. 90s. Uh, Godzilla versus Queen Mothra, which mm. which I thought was even better than this film. It's yeah, it's it's pretty. I, I know I got I rewatched that one not too long ago, and having kind of thought that Godzilla versus King Ghidorah was my favorite of the series, but after watching that with Mothra again, I was like, damn, these these films oh, it's are pretty. Good. These films are pretty damn good together. Yeah, yeah, I'll tell you real quick the way that I first saw uh, to talk about this era. You're talking about the bootleg era when that was the only way you could see the Heisei stuff. The first way I saw the first version of the Mothra film I ever saw was one of those classic ones where somebody sat in a movie theater and, you know, where somebody sat in a movie theater and filmed it in a movie theater and then added subtitles to yeah. it, you know. So, of course, the sound has that little bit of an echo to it there because it's sound coming from a theater from auditorium. Theater, yeah. and that, But, hey, at that point, I was just like, oh, it's the Mothra film. I got my hands on it, you know. <laughs> well, I, I have to say that it was uh, this film, King uh, Godzilla vs. King Ghidorah, and the rest of the Heisei series that made me really want to dig into all of the Godzilla mm. films and turn me into a major mm. fan of this stuff. Simply because part of it was, of course, the the forbidden nature of you know mm-hmm. buying these things on bootlegs. It was really sure. the only way to see them, and it, mm-hmm. it's not something you could go march down mm-hmm. to your local mm-hmm. Suncoast video. Yeah. How's that for a throwback <laughs> reference? Suncoast, <laughs> uh, and and pick up. So mm-hmm. I loved it. And I love them, and it and it was it's the Heisei films that I have the most affection for, mainly because they are the ones that just lit my mind mm-hmm. up with I excitement. I totally understand. Yeah, um, don't get me wrong. I enjoy I can enjoy pretty much any Godzilla film, even the ones that I don't think are any good. Mm-hmm. 
But it's the Heisei films that really, really make me happy. Yeah. Uh, so this mm-hmm. is the film that, as much as I like Godzilla vs. Biollante, this is the one that really was fantastic and, mm-hmm. and, and kicked me off into really enjoying these movies and not thinking of them in the way that I had thought of them as a younger person. So. Well, you know, one of the couple of things that are unique about the the Heisei series is one, it is a series in the true sense of the word. Is it's set yeah. for I mean every film, well no, every film, even Godzilla, even Return of Godzilla or Godzilla eighty four, eighty five, whatever, I mean Every film does connect, you know, right. and there's no other Godzilla series that say that can say that. Is they literally one leads to the other. Now sometimes they don't, the you know don't always do as much as they could in some areas with that. I think, but in other areas it's great. It tells, but it does tell a complete story, and they do all connect. And I think that's uh, that that that's one thing that's unique about that. Also, they had really bumped up the special effects, but technology and budgets for yes. these films as compared to the '70s series of films. Uh, very much so, and so I think that really opened a lot of people's eyes because that really kicked off a whole new phase of of Godzilla fandom. Uh, because not only when these films came out, but the fact that then Bandai really just started flooding the market with with these great toys or great figures from these 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 Godzilla figures. So I think that kind of really kicked off a real re- rebirth or re- renaissance of Godzilla fandom there that hasn't really stopped, you know, to this day. So um, yeah, yeah, it's I, I, I'm. I'm so I'm so thrilled that all these films, the the Heisei films, are now available mm-hmm. on uh, Blu-ray over mm-hmm. here, mm-hmm. fantastic widescreen prints, mm-hmm. and uh, I think that may be why I'm so I, I I'll never lose the love for these things because those prints on those Blu-rays just they make me fall in love with oh, them. Again, the part of it is that they you know they, they're the films are more recent than the you know, mm-hmm, the sixties sure. and seventies films, and so mm-hmm. the they're going to look a little bit better because the 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 mm-hmm. The elements that they're using to, to, to craft these digital prints are, are better mm-hmm. because they're newer. But, geez, man, I just love watching these movies. They're just yeah. so much fun. And and I'll be honest, I'm probably I, – I, I'm itching now to watch the rest of them again to just mm-hmm. run my way through the series. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm I, I, if I can make the time, I'm going to try to do it. But, Lord knows, man, time these days, <sighs> it's mm-hmm. not the easiest thing to come by. But – this is the first time we've ever talked about one of the Heisei, uh, Heisei series, and I wanted right. to talk just that little bit about why mm-hmm. I Yeah, no, so that's a great story. I'm glad you did it, yeah. Well, the reason, uh, I t- the film before this was Godzilla vs. Biollante, and apparently it was uh, considered a financial failure. It mm-hmm. did not do very well. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons they felt that uh, it may not have done very well, and I don't know that this is necessarily true, but of course Biollante was a new monster. Right. And so uh, they decided, you know, we're going to just stick with the old characters. We're going to reinvent them, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to give them new, uh, you know, new upgrades or, and new mm-hmm. backstories, new origins, the whole thing. Right. And um, we're going to stick with the monsters that everybody already knows from the Godzilla mm-hmm. films of the past. Mm-hmm. And I think that's okay and fine. There's a there's a part of me that that likes that and there's another part of me that wonders wow what might have happened because I yeah, like Biolante. Sure. I did too. I thought it was a fantastic film and, I, and a really inventive creature. Yeah. Um, and it's the same way it goes on with the Millennium series too is you, you they tried a couple of new monsters but at the same time they're there came the kind of point of like, oh, Mothra again, Ghidra again, you know, yeah. it's like yeah. Mechagodzilla again, you know, that we're kind of going back. We are sort of cycling these same same creatures, you know, through. So. And, and the thing is, as much as 
I, I, I have noticed that a lot of Godzilla fans, they do that thing where they're like, oh, I wish they, I wish there were new monsters. And yet when a new monster <laughs> is never, on screen, they're like, like <laughs> well, where's Gigan? And, and, and where's King Caesar? And it's yeah. like, well, listen, what, you're, you're yeah. bitching regardless of which monster's on screen. If it's a new monster, you want the old monster. If it's an old monster, you're wondering, mm. why won't they create any new monsters? Mm. And so I get into that thing where I'm just like, come on, man. <laughs> but the thing is, I mean, when you, when you talk about Biollante, the proof is in the mm. box office receipts. And yeah. so they considered sure. they, they, you, you got to go where the money is. And exactly. they, they decided to play it safe and bring back King Ghidorah. So mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. you go. Well, before we go on, I'll say real quick, I love this film too. And I want to get that out there because as we go along, I may occasionally be making little uh, criticisms about some of the aspects of the story or some ways some things are handled. Uh, but none of that, and then none of that, you know, uh, detracts from the overall feeling that I just I do think this is a, a terrific film, and just to have a blast with this film. Oh well, I, I, really I have a number good. of things to uh, complain about in the mm-hmm. film, but I still mm-hmm. love this yeah, movie. I love this movie too. a lot, and mm-hmm. I want to. I'm glad you're right. We should state that up front. Uh, one of the nicer things about this is that uh, this is the first Godzilla film to feature a newly orchestrated score by Akira Ifukube. Yeah, since Terror of Mecha Godzilla. Yeah. Uh, the previous film, Biollante, apparently had used some of his themes mm. from that had been, from previous movies, mm. and apparently he'd been a little unhappy with the way they had been used within the body of the film, mm-hmm. and so he was coaxed back to do a whole new score yeah. for this film, which is uh, great. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Every <laughs> because, time you hear it is, yeah. Because the score is, is fantastic. Is it is. Let's go through this uh, this film. Uh, I'm not gonna. I, I don't know how much time we want to spend going through the the entire plot, but it'll be significant. So yeah. buckle up, people. Mm-hmm. Uh, the film starts with something that I actually wish, if I had my druthers, mm-hmm. there are some changes I would make to this film. And one of the first changes I would make to this film is I would do away with this little pre credit sequence. Pre credit sequence. It's an odd choice. It's an odd yeah. like why they chose this particular. It's sort of uh, you know why they did this. I wonder uh, if it's because they wanted to front load images of the monsters and mm-hmm. kind of give you an idea of the fact that mm-hmm. there's going to be time travel involved mm-hmm. and that the monsters, yeah, it's going to be a while before you see them. Mm-hmm. But let's go ahead and give you a little taste, something like that. Yeah, because, I mean, Maybe. they kind of enter them saying, like, you know, yes, Ghidra was destroyed by Godzilla when they fought, but you know they're going to fight because what's the title of the film, so that doesn't yeah. really give away anything. Well, and it or, also or, tells you that it's in the year 2204. Yeah. And we're seeing the corpse there underwater mm-hmm. on the seabed. The question becomes, like, wouldn't it have been a little more effective if they didn't give us that so that we actually think that right. when the ship starts appearing that it is aliens and, and that it takes a while to unfold the reveal of who it actually is? I you're, you're getting there's to... There's a couple of places in the film 
where they do things that I think they could have held back and made a later thing more effective. And I'll mention some of those too. This pre-credit sequence is one of those. Yeah. When you when you watch the film for the first time, you don't mind it because it's the first yeah, time you've yeah, seen yeah, it. But right. then when, every subsequent time that I watch the movie, I'm like, oh, they didn't really need this. Mm-hmm. They're just repeating something that happens later in the movie mm-hmm. and putting it here serves no real narrative purpose. Yeah. But hey, well, then the movie flashes back to modern day Tokyo. Mm-hmm. Which would of course be you know 1992 according to the to the to the to the on-screen identifier. Mm-hmm. Um, there is an unidentified flying object that's been seen flying rapidly with flashing lights in the night sky. Uh, the morning after this, the general media attempts to make sense of the situation, which determine that this UFO may not have been a hoax. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, who the hell thought it was a hoax? <laughs> well, uh, Terasawa, a young Japanese reporter is uh, covering the story of a dinosaur that was sighted during the Pacific War, during World War II, when uh, a spaceship appears in Japan, coinciding with Godzilla's awakening in the ocean. Now, that's one of the things that we've talked about before when these, with these Godzilla films, is that, mm. to, my, it's, to my way of thinking, the, the best Godzilla films present us with human characters that are actually interesting, instead mm. of just... Irritants that are in our way, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, I like the characters in this movie, especially this guy. Yeah, yeah, I do too. I thought that I, I do like the characters a lot. Um, well, at any rate, mm-hmm. um, the the this this ship, this uh, spaceship lands, and three humans, uh, two Caucasian fellers, <laughs> and uh, one Japanese woman named Emmy, come out of the ship and reveal themselves as delegates of nations from the twenty third century. Mm-hmm. So they are time travelers. And it's apparently men in the 23rd century dress like Pee Wee Herman. <laughs> well, they dress... <laughs> it, it, it's always a... Tr- ain't it always a tricky thing to it, figure it, out... Yes, it is. To, how to, to kind of do, people... a, do a futuristic business mm. suit. Mm, yes, um, yes. And it's like, uh, I remember what the what uh, Cameron James Cameron did in Aliens, mm-hmm. which, you know, was rather modest and wasn't mm. crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely identifiable mm. as yeah. what it was, but yeah. not... Mm-hmm. You know, not they didn't go crazy with colors or anything yeah. like that. And in this, it's like a, it's burgundy and beige. Yeah. And it's like I'm not altogether sure that I mean, I, may, I don't know what the 23rd century is going to bring, but apparently burgundy and beige. So. But what's so funny is the way the two guys dress like this, and yet Emmy is always really dressed like she's ready for a hike in the park or something. I know. I know. It's like is that is that woman is that apparently beige? men are the peacocks in the future and women now are I like other, are just the t-shirt and jeans you know which is almost like the animal kingdom you oh, know it's just, like the you know it's like the males in, that she's are dressed in business casual <laughs> for the for the time traveling adventure like, by the way one more thing before you carry on before you move on is I, I love the spaceship by the way I think the spaceship design oh, yeah. is fantastic great design. Oh, I like the spaceship the main spaceship and I also like the little little smaller scout ship as yeah, well yeah uh, both of which are available uh, available to time travel in which I thought mm-hmm. was a nice little a nice little thing mm-hmm you have your way, ship. <laughs> um, well, these uh, these travelers from the future have come here to warn Japan of its grave future. Uh, apparently, due to industrialization and nuclear power, Godzilla will reappear and destroy Japan for good in the late 90s, or so these time travelers say. Mm-hmm. As proof, they present a book that the Japanese reporter Terasawa will write in the future entitled The Birth of Godzilla, yeah. which states that the dinosaur he is covering, that he's mm-hmm. doing research on, mm-hmm. that uh, was on a Pacific island during World War II, would eventually become Godzilla after radiation exposure from an American nuclear bomb test sometime after World War II. 
which lines up perfectly with uh, Godzilla in 1954 in mm-hmm. the original film. Yeah, because right. uh, that's one thing we should point out about the Heisei films, those seven films, the only movie from the original run of Godzilla films that it, it, that it uh, uh, accepts as mm-hmm. part of its own timeline mm-hmm. is the very first one. Yeah. Yeah. All of the all of the sequels, all of the other films, uh, are non-existent as far as the Heisei film series is mm-hmm. concerned, which I think is pretty cool. And of course, mm-hmm. they kind of adopted that when they moved into the Millennium series as well. well. It almost became like every film, just about the yes. Millennium series, only acknowledges the the, the first, first you know. Uh, but uh, whereas this one, at least, you know, does that and then uses as a starting off point and then continues. But yeah, um, I love the. I, I, okay, first of all, I absolutely love this origin for Godzilla because I, I think it's fantastic that what we have mm-hmm. here is if you examine this and you're very careful about it, mm-hmm. what this means is that the Godzilla that popped up in Gojira 84 mm-hmm. uh, is not the original Godzilla. This right. is a second beast. Mm-hmm. This is a second Godzilla. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the the beast that came, popped up in 1954 the oxygen destroyer did away mm. with that thing is mm-hmm. done. It's over and mm-hmm. done with, and mm-hmm. this is another one mm-hmm. decades later that they're still dealing with. Although mm-hmm. luckily they get years in between them mm-hmm. uh, until 1990s when right. you know they suddenly started making all these movies, and the damn thing just pops <laughs> up all the time. <laughs> Poor <laughs> bastards. But I absolutely love this. Uh, th- I guess this is the introduction. Is this the introduction of Godzilla Saurus? This this Godzilla. This oh, Godzilla. The, yeah, the first guy. Yeah, never been mentioned in another. Yeah, so okay. Godzilla Saurus is in this film here. So it was where he began. So uh, so that that is uh, we get this that this great piece where the uh, the World War II veteran tells the the story. He was one of the soldiers. He's one of the Japanese soldiers on this mm-hmm. Pacific island mm-hmm. that was saved by mm-hmm. this this mm-hmm. dinosaur that mm-hmm. popped up. And uh, crushed and killed all these uh, American soldiers, and then was killed itself. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a fascinating little piece. It's a fascinating little section of film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have two the two character. We have two survivors are, that are in this story from that time. Yeah, and one of them had, went on to become named Shindo. Has gone on to become a massive, you know, billionaire. He's rebuilt the whole Japanese economy. You know, is one of the most prominent citizens. Has, yeah. has some kind of park called Dinosaur World. Yeah, yeah. The other one is protesting the Dinosaur World, and and is is, is he's the one who draws Terasawa. Like Terasawa tells his boss, who is actually also his uh, lover and wants to be his fiance or whatever. You know, <laughs> tells her that you know I don't want to cover this UFO. I want to actually. I'd rather actually talk. I want to cover. You know, he's more into human interest stuff. So I want to cover this old man who's making a stink. About this dinosaur world, and so that's where he first hears about the uh, the about this you know about the story about this dinosaur. Whereas this the guy who is protesting dinosaur world, who was the other survivor from Lagos Island where this happened, uh, he's he's actually claiming that Japan Japan has lost its way and that this dinosaur still watches us. You know, he's he's he's, he's right. you know that kind of thing. And I kind of think that they I kind of wish they had kept his character a little more in the story. They sort of let him. He sort of goes he, away, he, and I wish they kind of like I, I kind of wish they'd sort of kept him in the mix with these other characters just to get more of his perspective on what was going on. Instead, it kind of shifts to Shindo, and Shindo becomes more the character that they focus on as far as the survivors of the island there. So Terasawa and a couple of other Japanese civilians and military personnel are selected by these time travelers to go back to 1944 and make Godzilla disappear from history, thus present thus preventing. Japan's bleak future. Now, 
the way they're going to do this is they go back to the island. They let the the dinosaur do what it's do what it does to 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 mm-hmm. to push away the American soldiers and to save mm-hmm. the Japanese garrison, mm-hmm. and then it dies. And then instead of leaving it on the island so that it can be irradiated and mm-hmm. transform into Godzilla, mm-hmm. they teleport it into the sea. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess the in the into the Bering Sea, they just put it on the bottom of the ocean, get mm-hmm. it away from all of this, mm-hmm. so that there will be no Godzilla. Right. Neat idea. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This should be good. Yeah. Let's. What could fuck, go wrong? What could, go what wrong? could possibly go wrong? <laughs> well, the time travelers place Emmy and an android named M11 in command of the mission. They go back. They locate the dinosaur. They teleport it off the island, and they think they're in good shape. But before they leave the island, we see a sneaky little thing. Mm-hmm. You see. These time travelers brought back some pets. Mm-hmm. They call them Dorats. Dorats, or the way I always thought Dorats. they were, or, 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 or Durats. Durats. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So yeah. I've always, yeah. I've always mispronounced these silly little creatures. But one look at them silly little creatures, mm. and there's no way you can't go. They're baby Gidras. <laughs> Look at yeah. them. They're baby Gidras with one head each. And there's three of them. Uh-huh. Ting. Yeah, oh, yeah. Hold on just a second here. I think I know what's going on. So they, without telling the uh, people from modern day, the time travelers, put those three little creatures out on that island they know is going to be irradiated in a few yep, years yep. because of an American nuclear bomb test. Hmm. Things may not be what they... We all have seen this movie, so yeah. what, what, am I, what am I being mysterious about? We've all seen this movie, so... We know they're up to no good. Mm-hmm. Something's going on. Well, the time travelers and the Japanese of the 1990s arrive on the Pacific Island, and uh, this is in the, the final stage of the Pacific War, and I love this whole thing where we see what happens. Uh, the Japanese unit is opposing the, the U.S. amphibious landing on the island. Um, they observe the battle, and we get to see, apparently... The, we're shown they 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 show us the whole fight between the dinosaur and mm-hmm. uh, the American soldiers, mm-hmm. and it's a little bloody. They do mm-hmm. sh- they do show the uh, the shot to the to the dinosaur's side, the left side of the dinosaur's yeah, head. Yeah. They show that to us twice, yeah, to, making yeah. us trying to make us think that it got shot in the head twice. twice it's but, up, but it's the same footage. But yeah. it's the same footage, and it's a little obvious. So that's that's one thing that they probably shouldn't have done, but. Apparently, this sequence where we see a dinosaur crushing American mm-hmm. soldiers and and slaughtering American mm-hmm. you know American mm-hmm. amphibious landing soldiers and driving them mm-hmm. off the island apparently there was a little bit of controversy surrounding. Ah, uh, yes, there was, and I remember it at the time the film came out. I mean, before I even gotten to see the film, it actually made. I mean, hell, it wasn't like the film was going to get any kind of U.S. release, and yet it actually made. I remember it making local. You know, it got distributed through the U.S. Yeah. press. This press, you know, got through the world press. I remember it showing up in local. Papers uh, write up about how, you know, apparently the new Godzilla film was anti-American. It's like, no, it's not. It's like, did you, oh, Jesus Christ, you know, it just yeah. Well, that's I, a, I don't think it helped that apparently uh, it was an Ishiro Honda who actually like piled on and said that he thought it was the, he he thought the same thing was true that he thought that they they went a he, little too far. He may have. I I don't know. I just don't see it. I mean, I. I, I the only thing that seems anti-American is if they're trying to show us as horrible actors, and I can agree. <laughs> I can I can agree with that. No, no argument there. But uh, but the uh, but no, I really I'm looking at the scene. I'm just like, okay. I mean, the soldiers. You soldiers know, are fighting. It doesn't a, show a the American. It doesn't show the Americans doing anything particularly vicious no. or cruel or 
racist it's, or you know no, or anything. Nothing and, and, like um, that at all. It's just this. I think it's just this whole American thing about you know you wear. Well, that was this part. Of, if I had heard all this before, I would I would honestly expect there to be American soldiers going die yellow fiend to yeah, die know, or something just, ridiculous. But that's not what you're seeing. It's, it's it's like we're we're the only country that's allowed to make films of, of, about our the wars we've been in you know if any if any other yeah, country does bullshit. especially if they're fighting Americans is yeah I just thought the whole thing was nonsense I was like but, if, but if anything, anything if anything it's more the film is more critical of Japan than it is anything you know oh, well, it's, it's yeah so, this is this is a, this is a film much like a number of the Heisei films I think there's yeah. a lot being said here I mean not to the extent mm. of the most recent Godzilla film Shin, Shin Godzilla right from just the, uh, you know from uh, just uh, last year, there's mm-hmm. a man. That whole film is just a mm-hmm. a dissection of mm-hmm. Japanese society and government yeah. and bureaucracy mm-hmm. and the way that right. the, the Japanese society handles things. It's just it's just harsh and mean spirited as mm-hmm. hell. <laughs> um, but there's a lot of that throughout the Heisei series, where there's a mm-hmm. lot of commentary in those movies mm-hmm. about not just Japan and mm-hmm. the way things are done and, mm-hmm. and the way their society is set up, but also mm-hmm. about human nature mm-hmm. that yeah. goes a lot into, you know, being critical of how people look at things. Mm-hmm. Um, this whole, th- th- this film, I don't see any anti-American anything in I don't it. Either. It's like, who, well, let's see what two nations were fighting in the mm-hmm. war in the Pacific. Let yeah. Me think, I mean, what do we, know? I mean, we're going to change. Yeah, exactly. I mean, history's history, you know, I mean, so. I mean, unless you had, you know, Australian paratroopers, fall, you know, f- you know <laughs> yeah. fly in and drop in and be part of this battle. I mean, okay, fine. <laughs> sure. Go ahead. But I mean, it doesn't really, it doesn't really change things. No. Well, so the, after they, uh, after they teleport the Godzilla Saurus, which I think is a bizarre name, but yeah. I've always kind of enjoyed it. But here's yeah. the thing about it. I mean, reason they decided to call it Godzilla Saurus is obvious because it's really not a T-Rex. It's not no, as if right. this were a, a Tyrannosaurus mm-hmm. Rex. This mm-hmm. is a very di- it, it's similar to a Tyrannosaurus mm-hmm. Rex, but there's also you can you can see within the structure of how this thing is built. Uh, yeah. It that, can, you could actually see kind of the Godzilla structure within that there. So, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean it's it's uh, more plausible. Let's mm-hmm. let's not put the word plausible <laughs> yeah, out there, yeah. but it's but it's more plausible <laughs> it's because less, of the way it's less it stretchy truth there. Yeah. <laughs> less stretchy of the truthy. Yes. <laughs> Lagos Island. That's right. It's a small island between two larger islands called Loat and Kwajalein in the South Pacific. You saw a living dinosaur on that island, huh? When our troops were stationed over on Lagos Island, the soldiers in my garrison all saw it. It protected us. It saved us from the U.S. forces that were attacking our troops in that region. It protected you? It was February 1944. The Loat and Kwajalein garrisons were all under heavy attack from the American Navy, and they were completely annihilated. But our garrisons on the small island of Lagos survived, even though it was in the middle of a very heavy attack going on all around it. So you're saying that the dinosaur saved you? That it cut off the American troops from you? Yeah, that's right. Unbelievable. Why? Why'd it do that? I think maybe it wasn't really protecting us, but that it was only trying to protect its own territory. The dinosaur was very gentle at first, but later it went completely wild. <laughs> it went wild? The Americans were so scared by what they saw, they retreated just as fast as they could. <laughs> Later, the High Command sent ships to take us back home. We were all very grateful when we got back here to the motherland. 
we all knew. If it hadn't been for that great dinosaur who saved us from the American forces, we would all be dead. Before we jump back into the movie, I've got a question for you. Mm -hmm. Troy, Mm -hmm. um, in every description, plot description of this film and a lot of the articles I've I've read about this movie discussing it, Mm -hmm. uh, there seems to be this consensus desire to refer to the time travelers as the Futurians. Mm. As in future ions, future Futurians. Right, Futurians. Futurians. Yeah. Mm. Um, what the fuck? Well, it's interesting you say that because, yes, they never use that term in the film. Ever, right? ever, ever. But when I was making my notes for this film, watching through it, that I actually, the term came into my head, Futurians. Right. I mean, I started using it just as a shorthand for when I was referring right. to them. Not thinking it came from that film, but thinking that I had gotten it from some other sci-fi film. Think there must be something else that's making me think Futurians. And I actually was thinking of it as kind of an amusing term for them. I think what you're hitting on is why it came to my head is because in in all the years over reading all the probably thousands of articles on this film, that that somehow became into use as just what they became what they as a as again a shorthand of what to call them. Okay. okay. But but so I think that's where I got that from and I'm glad you said that because that term, you know, I kept writing down the Futurians and I thought, where where am I getting When I was from? writing notes, I was just going the time travelers. The time travelers, yeah. But and you're right. They never call them they notes. never call them Futurians. Yeah, that's right. yeah. Right. And uh, I, I would refer to them as the bad actors, or the people <laughs> the with bad, bad, dressers, yeah. bad fashion sense, you know, whatever. But the thing is, uh, I just wondered if there had been some reason for calling them that, because it's certainly not in the film. Right. So, okay. I don't know who right. first got that, started cycling that, you know, I mean, it might even been, who knows, you know, 90, the, the, shortly after this film came out, that was, you know, G-Fast, G-Fan, excuse me, the magazine started up in 93, okay. so it's possible that G-Fan, maybe in its earliest articles, because it would have been right around this time this film was coming out, might have used that term, and maybe that's why it's come into common usage, possibly. I don't know. Okay, okay, I was just curious. Mm-hmm. All right, um, unknown to the Japanese, the time travelers have replaced the godzilla on the island with our three mm-hmm. do-rats. Do-rats. And uh, when, they, when our time travelers get back from 1944... Lo and behold, what do we have? We 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 they 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 come clean. We now know mm-hmm. the time travelers really are uh, assholes because uh, their intentions are exposed. They're about baby. as trustworthy as every alien race in these films. <laughs> we learned the true history of the future. Uh, what they told the Japanese to get them to go along with this whole ridiculous scheme uh, has been total bullshit. Mm-hmm. Turns out that uh, well. Despite the damages of Godzilla, Japan, with her great corporations, eventually grows into a corrupt superpower that affects the future amazingly much. Mm-hmm. So much, in fact, that the reason they've t- traveled back in time is to create Ghidorah mm-hmm. as a weapon to control Japan mm-hmm. and to keep the country from becoming a superpower. Because they can control Ghidorah because they actually made the Dorats from biotechnology. So they right. they genetically engineered them, which is why they actually can control Ghidorah. The problem is that our two Caucasian time travelers are assholes. No, uh, well, yeah. <laughs> well, they're a little bit more ambitious. They want to use King Ghidorah to delete Japan from history completely. Mm-hmm. Now, well, except for Tokyo. They said, we'll save Tokyo and then we'll show Tokyo how to rebuild you know basically meaning that we'll got you know we'll we'll control Tokyo's growth i guess basically and of course having these these two very tall caucasian <laughs> fellows 
<laughs> do this and say these things and turn out to be the villains. Maybe that's what. Maybe, maybe that's, that's the anti-American, anti-American bad. Maybe, maybe. I mean, they're they're not they're not identified as Americans. <laughs> no, they're not actually. Yeah, they're, but I mean, but, yeah, clearly but they have no other accents they're, or no. They're, yeah, yeah they're, they're clearly they're Caucasian guys. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They're terrible actors, which mm-hmm. it just makes <laughs> that's, it even that worse. makes them American right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! You just reminded me. Uh, there was this. Uh, there was this clip of an interview with uh, John Hurt. Mm-hmm. Uh, now that unfortunately the late great, the, yeah. late, the late great John Hurt, where uh, he was describing the difference between British actors and American actors. And mm-hmm. with British actors, he say, he described British actors as going to the role, mm-hmm. where in general American actors, um, the roles mm-hmm. are tailored to them. Mm-hmm. So in other words, mm-hmm. he he pointed out the difference between. Um, someone like Laurence Olivier or mm. Charles Lawton mm-hmm. next to someone like Cary Grant. Mm. Cary Grant was always Cary Grant. John Wayne's always John Wayne. But Charles Lawton, you never knew what the hell you were going to get. Laurence yeah. Olivier, you never knew what you were going to get because they built themselves into the role. You know, David mm. Niven, you mm. never really knew what he was going to mm. be like. Things yeah. like that. So I never forget the, when I realized the, vast, the real difference between, uh, the most uh, I guess profound difference between British comic actors or comedians and American comedians, you know, cause I grew up you know, loving British humor, you know, watching Monty yeah. Python from a young age. And it was, I realized very quickly that American comedians are always that character, even in interviews, even in their life, like Robin Williams was always on, you know, Robin Williams right. was always, you know, just uh, wired in, you know, in interviews or if they have a certain shtick, you know, like, like, um, um, well, George Carlin was always cynical. Yeah, there was always, always there was always, the, always even the same guy. So even when you saw me, yeah. Humor, but so. whereas you know, so I was the first time I saw Monty Python actors like John Cleese and Michael Palin when I saw them do interviews, and they were just so like every day. I mean, they they were really there to talk about their art or talk about what they did. I mean, they didn't feel that they had to be funny a hundred percent of the time. And I realized that was a real major yeah. difference between. British comedians and American comedians. And I don't know if that, that may not be the case today, but it certainly was when I was growing up is, you know, is the, like the British comedians didn't feel they had to be funny all the time. They were yeah. more like, it was their, it was more like acting. They looked at it more as acting rather than establishing a public persona, you know, a comic persona that everybody that you just gave to everybody wherever you went. Um, well, we'll come back to that in the next comedy podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah, the, third, the third offshoot podcast. <laughs> yeah. so, um, oh, well, well back, back, back to this film. We're doing this, folks, because we just got through an audio commentary where we had to, where we couldn't. <laughs> we so we're just in. loving the fact that we can rant and digress and digress and, uh, ridiculously, you know. <laughs> and not, have, not have to time our every statement yeah. to uh, a visual that we have to link it up to. So yes. We may play a game of checkers here in a minute, and just let you listen to it. So. <laughs> King me, sir. <laughs> Uh, what what I love is that we have these three time travelers mm-hmm. and their their android robot thing M eleven. Yeah. Now. No, no, it shouldn't take you too long to guess what film this was. What what character? Oh, what no, film no, no, inspired on, on, this character? Before, before we get to that, <laughs> when uh, what I love is that the two Caucasians apparently kept their their plans or at least the extent of their evil plans from the Japanese woman Emmy. And once it, they reveal it, suddenly she's not on board anymore. Yeah. Suddenly she's decided, well, no, no, I can't let this happen. Well, that's one of my problems with the way that story is handled. And I don't know if you want me to go into it now. Or no, no, go ahead. Okay, go okay. Ahead. Here's well, one well, of my... Let's, let's just say that she mm. very much decides that she's not yes. on board with this. Right. And decides to... She leaves the ship right. and, and starts... Starts. She contacts uh, Terasawa mm-hmm. and uh, starts talking to government mm-hmm. agents and starts mm-hmm. trying to find a way to fight against what mm-hmm. the other two time travelers have decided they want to do. So, okay. so going back to when they're on the island, 
we see just as you mentioned before they leave the island and that you know she we see her letting the Dorats escape right which means she's fully a part of yeah. creating Gitterman mm-hmm. she knew that part of it it's not like that was a secret so so then the big question is like what the hell did you think they were going to do with it you know it's like what the hell did you think they were, that you were going to do with with Gitterman it's like she she lacks so surprised when it comes back that all oh, this is going on and so I think it would have been more effective. I think what they should have done was I think that because what we see is we see her letting out the the Dorats and just before the ship takes off, uh, one of the humans uh, from 1992 that's gone, which is uh, uh, Mickey Sagusa, the character Mickey, Mickey Sagusa, who we'll talk about more here in a minute. But she notices that they're, she, she asks her, she, she's like, where are the Dorats, right? And, 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 and Emmy, who is the Japanese uh, time travel, the Futurian, she gives her a very <laughs> guilty, she has a very guilty looking reaction. Right. So, which makes no sense when they, then they go back and she's act so uh, appalled and surprised by everything that's gone on. Say, so what I think they should have done is I think they should have had the M11 release the release Dorats the, exactly. and, and have Emmy ask him realize just before they take off what what are you doing and then that would all flow I think a lot better when they get back to you know our time I think that would have made more sense I just think I as it was I, I think agree. it's a weird kind of thing that I think got lost in translation or got lost in there when they were filming they didn't well, you know something well, I think, yeah I think that probably what needed to happen is that although there, there are some perceived problems that I used to have with the movie that have cleared themselves up with, with mm. multiple mm, viewers sure, yeah that is the one thing mm. in the film they needed to hit really hard that they needed to have her give voice mm. to specifically what she thought mm-hmm. they were going to be doing yeah. with this Gitter monster mm-hmm. in the present day. Right, right. But they don't do that. Right. So, yeah, so it does seem, yeah. But, but and I want to say right here, too, is, you know, one of the things that's surprising me about this movie, especially in this revisit, first time I watched it in a long time, is, of all the issues, kind of little issues I have with with kind of the story and and how it's presented, I don't have much issue with how the time travel is handled, and that is actually yeah, I, I think either. that's actually pretty well thought out, and that's yeah. not easy to do. Most time travel films, uh, even the ones you really enjoy, even the best of them, you can pretty much pick apart if you start looking at it. There's always a few little holes there that just don't well, add up, and in this I've case, always, I think they really did a yeah, good they do. job of they of, do yeah. That, but there, but my initial problem with this mm. film mm. that I thought, well, I love this movie, but there's mm. this giant gaping freaking plot hole in it. Well, what I thought the plot hole was mm. was when they get back from 1944 to present day to 1992. Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, they're, they've supposedly eliminated Godzilla. Oh, I know what you're going to say because I, I think everybody still same thing. everybody's yeah. like everybody on the planet still is knows like, oh, who yes. Still knows who Godzilla is. It still yeah. is like, oh, and isn't it yeah. great that we got rid of Godzilla? It's like, yeah. no, you should right. know who the fuck Godzilla yeah. is. You're right. But the movie, because every, it's almost as if they keep underlining the fact mm-hmm. that everybody still knows who Godzilla is. And I'm like, well, that's a giant plot hole. But then, mm-hmm. if you pay attention, this, mm-hmm. the movie does lay out very clearly that, no, there's a reason they still know about Godzilla. Yeah. Because... That event still happens mm-hmm. because of where they put the dead Godzillasaurus body. Mm-hmm. We we find mm-hmm. out later in the film. Mm-hmm. We're given the information. It's like, oh mm-hmm. shit! Mm-hmm. It didn't matter that we moved him. We put him in a place where there was nuclear waste. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. So right. The Equal Environment Earth Union. <laughs> its sole purpose is to equalize the power of all nations on Earth. All types of people joined our organization. Modest ones and aggressive ones. Mostly very liberal and some of them radical. We stole the time machine. We had to have it in order to carry out the plan that we had for Japan. What did you plan for Japan? Actually, 
We made up the story about Godzilla. He never does destroy Japan. I see. And what about the nuclear pollution that destroys Japan? It's all a lie. Later on, Japan will become even stronger, the richest nation of the 21st century. With all this wealth and great power, it'll buy up nations. South America and Africa. And then in the 22nd century, Japan will be bigger than China, America, and all of Europe. No nation will compare to it. My God. So they've come here to destroy Japan before all this happens. Why did they have to come back and destroy Japan in this way? There's no other way. At the end of the 20th century, all nuclear weapons are banned. And because of that, no organization or government can control Japan. Not even the Earth Union. So Wilson came up with his own plan. To make a monster he could control and get rid of Godzilla so he couldn't defend you. Then he'd begin to destroy Japan. Well, so Emmy lays out... The, the she goes all traitorous, lays out the whole plan that these mm, people are doing, mm. and introduces us to the whole uh, EEU mm. uh, thing, and then she uh, is is grabbed by M eleven and dragged back to the mm. to the mothership, mm-hmm. uh, kind of reprimanded by, by the yeah. uh, by the evil talk Caucasians, mm-hmm. and uh, then of course being the wily Japanese that she is, <laughs> thank you Roger Waters, yeah, <laughs> uh, she reprograms M eleven. And then leaves the mothership to go tell uh, Terasawa the truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love the whole. Uh, I was like, okay, so to a large extent, M eleven has kind of been the bad guy because mm-hmm. he came and mm-hmm. like ripped the car door off, yeah. uh-huh. uh, grabbed uh-huh. her, and took her back to the ship. Uh-huh. But now he's fighting for us, so it's like Terminator uh-huh. two. Oh yeah, Alan one film. He was I Terminator know, one, and then Terminator. Terminator. Oh, I love the fact there's a scene where just in case you didn't get it, where he, the inspiration he's even wearing shades, you know, in one scene <laughs> where when he's spying on uh, Emmy and Terrasawa, it's like yeah, just in case you didn't realize who he's supposed to. Yeah, yeah. In, by. Ca- in case we've not made mm. it clear, yeah, mm-hmm. clearly the M eleven is is the the, mm. the Terminator robot in, mm. in this film, the yeah. cyborg robot, I guess, yeah. the cyborg critter, mm-hmm. who. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, you do kind of run through. Let's let's, let's be clear. You, it is it is very much Terminator One, Terminator Two, yeah. in that you know he's he's uh, you know the latter half of the film. He's the good guy. And, and one thing I want to go ahead and say here too for anybody that has been to G Fest or is going to G Fest, uh, as I believe you are planning to this year. Yes, yes, yes. too. Uh, a regular guest at G Fest is our is our M Eleven Terminator, uh, Robert Scott Field. He's a really cool guy. He's actually become kind of one of the major ambassadors between Japan and Godzilla, American Godzilla fandom because he lives in Japan and can speak it fluently and he always he's always at G-Fest and he's he's always there with kind of stories about what's going on in Japan. He uh, he acts as a translator for a lot of the Japanese guests. Cool. Uh, so just a really cool guy. Yeah, that's Robert Scott Field. So if, yeah, if you get a chance to go to, anybody gets a chance to go to G-Fest, uh, uh, you'll, you'll enjoy meeting him. He's really, really cool. Very nice. Well, okay, so... The Japanese government, still believing that Godzilla was erased from the timeline, even though it should be obvious he wasn't erased from the timeline mm-hmm. because they know who Godzilla <laughs> is. Uh, they then seek they, they seek out the Godzilla source. They know where he is in the Bering Sea, mm-hmm. and they decide they're going to try to create a new Godzilla by uh, essentially uh, irradiating him. Mm-hmm. They borrow a nuclear submarine from uh, from Shindo Heavy Industry. That's yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's, the, that's the way they get around the fact that, that there's no way nu- Japan is supposed to have nuclear weapons yeah. at all. Yeah, he very sneakily has created a nuclear sub that he was just holding back to defend Japan. You know, of, that course, was his, yeah, of course, of course. Um, 
Mm. Well, isn't it great that Shindo Heavy Industry is such a giant corporation that they have the money to do this and keep it secret, <laughs> which is impossible. But hey, we're going to roll with it. But uh, since Shindo is one of the, the people, he was, uh, I believe, the commanding officer of that Japanese he, he, he uh, was. force he is. on Lagos Island. He was. Right? And I love that that's one of the little things of twist in the Godzilla origin about this or this story that I love is the fact that Godzilla essentially saved Japanese Japan's economy <laughs> because <laughs> which, which Godzilla who was you know the epitome of the you know was kind of the embodiment of the H bomb and all this in the original film and kind of, you know he's uh, he's basically now in this story one of the aspects of I mean he has several little aspects in this film that he's you know he's sort of little things that he represents but one thing the fact that he saved Shindo and Shindo went on to rebuild the Japanese economy I just think that's a great a great little touch there. <laughs> well, the the weird thing is though is that uh, uh, Mi- Miki Sagusa, mm-hmm. the, the little girl who popped up, she she's the woman who, who was in the previous film. She was in mm-hmm. Biolante, mm-hmm. and she has uh, she has uh, uh, telepathic mm-hmm. powers. Mm-hmm. Uh, she can sense Godzilla, and she reports that she's able to sense Godzilla moving underwater as if he never left. Which really puzzles her because, mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. we say, supposedly no. they erased Godzilla from the timeline. Right. How can she still sense him yeah. if he doesn't exist? Mm-hmm. Uh, this is where we have uh, Terasawa doing uh, doing his best Kolshak imitation right. and doing a bunch of newspaper research mm-hmm. and learned that sometime in the past a Russian nuclear submarine disappeared in the Bering Sea near, near where they put the Godzilla Saurus. <laughs> you say that you feel Godzilla? Yes, whenever I close my eyes, I see him as clearly as if he were walking right in front of me. It feels exactly the way I felt before. It can't be. You know that Godzilla is no longer with us. The one buried under the sea is just a dinosaur. So how could you feel him? It could be possible. Maybe there's nuclear energy there. Maybe there's even a hunter killer with nuclear missiles. You know, there could always be nuclear waste there. Is this possible? A nuclear submarine wrecked in the Bering Sea. That's it. It says here the submarine was never salvaged. Where are you going now? I'm going to tidy up after myself. I helped you find that. Now you have to tell me what you're doing. A new book called The Birth of Godzilla. Oh. Terasawa realizes that Godzilla must have not been erased from the timeline at all and was already mutated into Godzilla. Mm-hmm. Terasawa tries to warn the government that he's already that he already exists and that Shindo's submarine is in danger, but by then it is too late. Mm-hmm. And that's a great sequence. I absolutely yeah. love the... I mean, of course, I know how they shot all the underwater yeah. stuff because it's yeah. not actually underwater, right, right. but it looks really mm-hmm. great as this, this big nuclear submarine comes up and there's Godzilla. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, he hadn't gone anywhere, folks. You didn't do anything to eliminate this big lizard. So. Yeah, yeah. instead he just gets a double dose of radiation, which, exactly. uh, <laughs> which is going to change him even more. Uh, so, unknown to the to the Japanese government or to the time travelers, the Godzilla source they had transported to the Bering Sea had, in fact, already been mutated because of a Soviet nuclear submarine that had sunk there in the Bering Sea. Uh-huh. As the time travelers put it, the birth of Godzilla appears to have been an unavoidable event. As long as there are nuclear weapons, Godzilla is going to be created uh-huh. in the middle of the 20th uh-huh. century. The Japanese realize this too late. The sub the sub encounters Godzilla, and that's the end of the sub. Mm-hmm. And like I say, now we have 
a super-powered Godzilla yeah. who's now even larger, even larger than the original Godzilla. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, or the this would be the second Godzilla that the, the original mm-hmm. Godzilla was mm-hmm. that was done away with in '54. This is mm-hmm. the second Godzilla, and now they're in trouble. We'll talk about the weird timeline of Godzilla in a little while because I have it all mapped out thanks to a a wily internet writer. Oh, boy. I like it. Somebody had more courage than me then. Take on something like that. He did a good job with it. I'll let let you know. Okay. Uh, Well, the the, the two time-traveling gringos send King Ghidorah to to fight Godzilla as he wades ashore. Mm Mm-hmm. Ghidorah almost strangles Godzilla to death, but in the meantime, Emmy, Terasawa, and the Android M1 sabotage the mothership. Ghidorah's, uh, Ghidorah's motion is affected, and then he is defeated by Godzilla. Uh, I kind of like the way that the fact that they're controlling Ghidorah, mm-hmm. uh, Ghidorah is affected by the destruction of the mothership or just mm-hmm. screwing around with the mothership yeah. and its power source. I thought that was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, Godzilla decapitates the middle of the three heads of Ghidorah, and has it sink to the bottom of the sea. Mm-hmm. Emmy and the others teleport the mothership. This and, is one of my, I, I think that's one of the coolest moments. I, know, of the, I, I know. love when they do that shit. Emmy and the, and, the, <laughs> and, and, and the other Japanese people teleport the mothership to right in front of Godzilla, and then they get the hell out. <laughs> that's just a great scene. They yeah. take off in the little scout yeah. ship. Godzilla just fries the yeah. mothership, yeah. <laughs> which destroys, of course, yeah. the the yeah. the tall the tall uh, Caucasian fellers who are the villains of the story. Mm-hmm. And all their wonderful suits. I'm sorry they couldn't save their <laughs> yes, wardrobe their, in there. <laughs> their horrible wardrobe is gone. Gone, 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 gone. <laughs> now, at this point, you'd think, okay, all is cool, except once again... We're talking about a giant irradiated lizard who's mm. going to now destroy Japan if he yeah. get his hands on it. Mm-hmm. And uh, Emmy and, uh, Emmy and the uh, the uh, cyborg go back to the future with with the time traveling uh, scout ship because they realize mm-hmm. we got to do something or Godzilla is just going to destroy Japan now. And here's one of the things that was powerful about the I think why a lot of people like the Heisei series too is it was a return to after the seventies movies where he was the hero, the good guy for yeah. a lot of people. And I and I really ultimately prefer a Godzilla who's not good or evil, you know, who's basically just whatever he does. He moves a, on his own whims. You don't know what fo- his... He is a force of nature. Yeah. That's, and that's, that's my kind of Godzilla. And, and the 90s Godzilla films, the Heisei series, really brings that out. I mean, that's really definitely yeah. what he is in all cases. He's not a good guy. He's not a bad guy. He's just moving to whatever he wants to go and whatever's in his way is in trouble, basically. I don't think we warn people that we're going to just spoil the holy living shit out of this Maybe film. we should do that, yeah. It's yeah, not just, by the way... Uh, we've been spoiling it for the past 10 minutes, yeah. possibly 25, yeah. so I apologize for that. <clears throat> yeah. <clears throat> but yeah, we're going to spoil it. Sorry. <clears throat> Godzilla enters Tokyo, stands before the headquarters of the Shindo Heavy Industry, Shindo Heavy Industry Corporation, mm-hmm. where Shindo himself stays to wait for Godzilla. Mm-hmm. Now, this was a powerful scene. It is. I remember it is. To, this, yeah, I, right. to this day, I remember mm-hmm. the first time I saw this movie mm-hmm. on that bootleg videotape. Mm-hmm. And just thinking, my God, that's a powerful scene. As that mm. man stands there in that window, eye to eye with Godzilla in this mm. in this big building, and then mm. is just obliterated. Yeah, that's yeah. He's an like he's, he's yeah, because it's like he's set up where, or he's he's realized you know Godzilla. He basically owes everything that he's had and built to know? the fact that this mm-hmm. creature mm-hmm. decades before. Mm-hmm intervened mm-hmm. on that island and mm-hmm. saved his life along mm-hmm. with all those other soldiers mm-hmm. and this is the end of that loop this mm-hmm. is where this gets closed off and this is where I think Godzilla then becomes to represent out of control Japanese economy like what they yeah. Jap, the Jap, Jap, Japan excuse me has always been 
had a self-consciousness about their growth and about their the cost of their industrialization and the cost of their, you know, uh, economic growth that other countries don't, you know, many other countries like America don't have. You know, Japanese always have a, a, a self-consciousness and a sense yeah. of, of responsibility about that. And I think that what Godzilla, once this incarnation of Godzilla, once he defeats Ghidra, I think then he becomes... Uh, kind of like Shindo. Shindo has, you know, saved Japanese economy, but he's obviously gone a little bit out of control by the fact. I mean, he, for one thing, he's he's built a nuclear sub that he's just hiding yes. from, you know. Yes. So I think that there's a realization on his part, maybe that he's gone beyond control. You know, that he's needs that that he's maybe overstepped. You know, the and grace that, this, that he, and that this know. is some kind of almost mm. um, like retribution, kind of. A, yeah, it's almost as if the the natural world has found yeah. a way to. Mm put him in check right. to, to, and in, in, in effect mm. kind of put him and the entire country and entire, their entire economy mm. in check by doing this. Yeah. Because with all this destruction, mm-hmm. the, the, the economy is going to be at a standstill for a very long period of time. And if you're right, if Godzilla is a metaphor for mm. an out of control economy, mm-hmm. the early 90s, late eighties, early nineties yeah. would have been the perfect time for mm. people who were concerned about the possible ramifications of that kind of out of control economic yeah. engine, mm. you know, taking over. Mm. That is the perfect metaphor. That is the kind of thing that would allow you to think seriously about this kind of stuff in mm. the, in this science fiction format. Mm. And of course the, the Toho Godzilla films have, never shied away from doing this kind of thing. I yeah. mean, yes, heavy-handed at times. Mm-hmm. This is yeah. not heavy-handed. I think mm-hmm. that you have to think about this a little bit yeah. to kind of, uh-huh. to kind of so. dig beneath mm-hmm. the surface to see this. But, I mean, you know, we have Godzilla versus mm-hmm. the Smog Monster, which is very, very upfront about the, yeah. the fears of industrialization and the fears of what that brings, including, mm-hmm. of course, the obvious pollution, the, the out-of-control industry, and the, the realization that if you don't reel capitalism back in with some kind of uh, some kind of uh, regulations of some sort, then it will run roughshod over everything else involved, and we will all suffer because of it. And so those kind of things have been built into a number of past mm-hmm. Godzilla films. And yeah, they're not in your face with it right. in many of these films in the 90s, but you're right, it's there, mm-hmm. and it's not hard mm-hmm. to see. Yeah. Once you start thinking about it, and once... I mean, there's far too many lines of dialogue in this film involving the Shindo character to not mm. see him as representative of this that aspect of mm. the American psyche and the way it it pushes forward and the, the whole business business mentality, which mm. is uh, you know laudable to to, yeah. to to a large degree, but also one of those things that you're right. There's something inherent in Japanese uh, society, the the traditions of that country, and the mm. way those people think. That allows them to step outside of it and look at it critically in a mm-hmm. way that, yeah, you're right. I don't think I, I think it's much harder for us to do mm-hmm. um, in the Western world because we're quite honestly not that introspective, right? Yeah. <laughs> we're just That's not true. as introspective yeah. Yeah. as we probably should be, mm-hmm. and we pay that price. We get mm-hmm. we we pay the same price, mm-hmm. but we always are just kind of really shocked and surprised that we're paying that <laughs> yeah, price. Yeah. How the hell did this happen? I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, I don't understand. Whereas it seems yeah. more that mm-hmm. the Japanese culture is a better way of getting a handle on this mm-hmm. while it's in progress and mm-hmm. thinking about it and trying to, even if they aren't able to, they're right. they're at least aware of it enough to try to course correct yeah. before the course has gone mm-hmm. too far. Yeah, um, yeah. not yeah. so here, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, and I, I do think actually, I think the the real, real underlying theme of this movie is there, but for the grace of Godzilla, go you or I. <laughs> what do you oh, think? What God. do you think? <laughs> I, uh, I, I'm impressed. You I did, really am impressed. Did I dig a little too yes. deep there? No, you did not dig a little too deep. <laughs> you are, you may be too clever by half. I'm not sure. <laughs> 
but uh, very good, very okay. good, very good, Mister Gwen. Yeah. I bow to your superior <laughs> skills with wordsmithery. <laughs> Go back to their future, the 23rd century, with the uh, with the scout ship. Mm-hmm. Godzilla is Tokyo, destroys Shindo Heavy Industry Building. Emmy comes back. Emmy and, and M- M11 come back from the future with the resurrected King Ghidorah because they just went to where Godzilla left Ghidorah on mm-hmm. the, uh, the, uh, yeah. the the floor of the bear of the of the Bering Sea and picked him up and they did a little work on him. Yeah. And they made a, 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 a cyborg mm-hmm. King Ghidorah. Yeah. Mecha King, King Ghidorah. Ghidorah. Now, here's here's one part where I, I think that they should have held some back because they actually talk about making him a cyborg before they go back to, before they leave and go to the future. You know, they yeah. actually, and I yeah. wish that they, because I think it would have made, if they just said, we're going to take Ghidorah and not, but not tell you, like, and she could still have that conversation with M11, M11, whatever, saying, can we do this? And him saying, like, yes, but not telling specifically what they're going to do. So that I think it would be a little bit more of an impact when you get this, oh, hell, it's a Mecha Ghidra, you know, which is, yeah. I think that had a little more impact. I, I think they should have done I think that. you're right. They could have been yeah. more vague in their description yeah. of what they planned yeah. to do. And then yeah. just kind of, boom, holy yeah. Mecha gods, you know, holy yeah. Mecha, <laughs> Mecha Ghidra. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah I, think, I think you're right. You're right. Well, Emmy is uh, is not just be, they're not just controlling this thing from afar the no. way they were doing with with Gitara before. Uh, Emmy is actually writing this thing in the Japanese tradition, you know, the yeah. pilot and its robot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's 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 kind of amazing. So uh, she rides uh, Mecha King Gitara into battle with Godzilla, and uh, it's uh, oh, it's, all, a, it's it's an it's, awesome battle. It's an ass kicking battle. It truly is. It awesome. really, really is. Uh, it's 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 battling back and forth and back and forth with tons of destruction. And Emmy uses Mecha King Ghidorah's grappling cables to lift Godzilla into the sky. Um, Godzilla continues to fight, and his a fight he fights hard enough that he manages to sink both of them into mm-hmm. the sea. Mm-hmm. Uh, luckily, Emmy Emmy gets out, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, then Emmy says goodbye to Terasawa. Uh, and she's headed back to the future. She, you can see that Terasawa was a little disappointed because I think he was he starting was to develop the hots for her. Yeah, he, well, he started to be. Yeah, he was definitely getting some feelings for. Her. Uh, but uh, as she's leaving, he uh, he gets the little piece of information there that that had to make him twinge just a little bit in the groin when he tell when she tells him that uh, actually. I'm one of your descendants. <laughs> You're like my great 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 grandfather. Now, see, I I had a question about that because up until the last time I watched the movie, the last time I watched the movie, I suddenly wasn't sure 
if she was actually saying that to him or just to herself, if he was actually hearing that or not. You know? Oh, yeah. Uh, because well, I, now I, she I, definitely I, hears where she she says, um, he asked why you saved us. Why did you save us? And she says, because there's people like you here. He hears that. But right. at the last, he's standing out there with the woman that we assume is going to become also, you know, Emmy's ancestor, which is the, yeah. the woman that he's already been in a relationship with. But when Emmy says that, there's some, she says, there's something I didn't get to tell you. You're one of my ancestors. I was never, I'm not sure if she's saying that to herself, just to herself, oh. or if they're actually hearing her because, and his, his reaction doesn't really tell us because if you, you can watch it both ways. You can either watch it as him knowing, hearing her, or you can watch it almost like he just, because either way, his, his companion, you know, his editor, who's right. also his girlfriend, comes up to him, you know, and they're together there. And I, I, so the last time I saw it, I thought, maybe I'm not, because I thought the same thing as you. I thought, that she told him that, and part of me was thinking, like, isn't that going to kind of mess with? Shouldn't you not tell, you know, <laughs> shouldn't you not tell somebody that about their future? But I'm not sure that she did. So I guess that's that's kind of interesting. I think you can interpret it either way. To see, yeah, like, come to think, I mean, every time I've watched it, I've always thought that it was as I just presented it, which mm-hmm, is that she turns mm-hmm. and tells him this, which yeah. is, you know, guess what? You're not going to bang me because mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> you're my grandfather. <laughs> yeah. So stop those creepy thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> keep, your, keep your pants on, hot stuff. <laughs> Go find my grandmother quickly. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, and and that and that wraps the film up there. But it does end on a great note because mm. it's essentially mm. setting up the sequel, oh, yeah. which is mm. uh, we see the bottom of the sea and Godzilla awakens and roars. Mm. Now mm. let me let me state up front that the the scene that I complained about the pre credit sequence uh, happens again in the in this the final few minutes mm. of the movie here, which is when they go back to the future mm. to get Ghidorah and turn mm. him into Mecha Mecha mm-hmm. And so and it's the exact same scene, and it's the second time we're seeing it in. I can kind of understand why having the pre-credit sequence and then replaying it here kind of gives you that little bit of tingle. Like, oh, oh, this is what they were talking about. Yeah, 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 I can see that. But I'd Mm. still think the film would work a little bit better without Mm. it. Yeah, I do too. let's talk about, first of all, we both love this film. Oh, yeah, definitely. But but let's talk about a few of the things that Mm -hmm. are, we've talked about a few of the things as we've gone along talking about the story Mm -hmm. about the movie that we do not like, or that are things that we wish weren't there or had been done differently. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have a couple of those and I'd Mm -hmm. like to bring them up. Sure. One, um, the effect that they use to indicate that M11 is running really fast, (laughs) just plain sucks. Yeah, it's bad. It's terrible. (laughs) It is. Um, uh, they needed to come up with, um, a much better way to do that. Mm -hmm. And what kills me is that the time this movie was being made was the time of the very first Flash TV series that came out in 1990 with John Wesley Shipp. Yeah, yeah. And in that TV series, they had they had it down. Oh, yeah. They had the mm-hmm. someone running very fast mm-hmm. effect mm-hmm. nailed to the wall. Yeah. And... Um, yeah, I wish they had copied or figured out, found, found out what that... <laughs> wish they found out what that was. technique yeah. was and yeah. used it. Yeah. Because, unfortunately, that's an irritant. That's an effect in the mm. movie. One of the few effects mm. in the movie. I'll, I'll mm. pony up and just say I think that it's the only one in the movie that I really want to complain about. Mm. The running effect with M11 is terrible. Mm. Um, there are a couple of other things that I don't like in the movie. The reuse of that one shot when the when the, the dinosaur gets shot in the side of the head is, yeah, is, yeah. is, is, mm. is one of those things that kind of stands out. And it stood out the first time I saw the movie. Mm. It stands out every time I see it. Mm-hmm. I understand the desire to, to mm-hmm. have a little bit more blood and guts there, but eh, mm-hmm. it doesn't really work. Once again, I think that there is a problem with um, the casting of Caucasian actors in the Toho Godzilla <laughs> films. You think? <laughs> yeah. Not yeah, just, yeah. And in not case just anyone thinks movie. we weren't going to mention it, no, we're very aware of, of uh, the We Feel Your Pain <laughs> yeah, and yeah, the the scene it's kind of like low hanging fruit. I know to poke fun at it because I think everybody does. Anybody who's ever seen this film 
you never forget the absolutely horrendous, horrendous uh, acting and an otherwise wonderful scene. You know, I love that whole jungle sequence, you know, where they're attacking yeah. the, and the Godzilla source because it gives them a chance to do a monster who's not just towering above the city. You know, they actually had him in a jungle, had to build a jungle yeah. set around this monster that's more the size of a regular dinosaur. And I think most all that sequence is very well, very well done. Uh, so it makes it even more painful the acting of the uh, the captain and his and and the guys on the yeah, ship. Yeah, let's just, let's uh, let's single out two specific things. Yes, there are two yes. things in the movie that I'm not one for editing a movie. Mm-hmm. I feel that the the film should stay in the form that mm-hmm. the filmmakers intended. Mm-hmm. That's the way they made the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, flaws and all, that's fine and good. Go mm-hmm. ahead and leave it the way it is. But I swear to God. <laughs> that I would cut this entire scene out. Mm-hmm. This is the last of the Marshall Islands. Next we take the Marianas, sir. This war might finally be coming to an end, Major. I certainly hope so, sir. Enemy planes, sir? Impossible. No plane can fly that fast. That looked to me like it was from another planet. I have to agree, sir. It did look like it was from another planet, but... Shall we report it, sir? What, that we're being invaded by little green men from outer space? Let's just keep it as our secret. You can tell your son about it when he's born. Major Spielberg? Sir, yes, sir! I will, sir. Fuck you, Toho, Mm -hmm. with your Spielberg bullshit. (laughs) No, that was... <laughs> what the fuck? First of all, the actors are miserably bad. If you think the Caucasian time traveler actors are bad, mm. trust me, they're fucking master thespians mm. next to these incompetent fucks yeah. Yeah. that they put on a battleship <laughs> uh-huh. to to pretend that they've just seen a UFO fly mm. overhead. Mm. Oh, my God. Oh, mm. my God. I hate this scene. <laughs> I, I hate too. this scene with a blood-red passion. I do, too. I mean, this is part of the... This belongs in... We've talked before in these past Godzilla films we've done. We brought up those... Moments of those Hall of Shame moments, you know, yeah. Godzilla flying backwards, you know, uh, Godzilla talking and all that stuff. This is right there with him. This it's is as like, bad. Yeah, it's as bad. <laughs> and the the other thing that I would cut out is mm. that stupid line that's one of the more famous ones in it, which is no. "Take that dinosaur, take that you dinosaur." You know, yeah, I know that guy's like uh, really seriously. Oh no, no, clip that, <laughs> clip that, clip that line. See that I would cut. Those two things right yeah. out of the film. I'd play I, right out I'm of the with film. you. I'm with you. I would. I would. I would. I would have no. I would not miss oh. them at all. I wish I'd never. I wish I'd never seen them. Because <laughs> no I cannot unforget. No I cannot forget them. So. Oh, I just. It's. <laughs> oh, it's terrible. And so, okay. So I've named three things. Mm-hmm. Well, if you cr- count the pre-credit sequence, I've named four things about the movie mm-hmm. that I would change or alter or delete mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. But having said that, mm-hmm. I really really love this movie. I've been talking about mm-hmm. how much I love it since we started this podcast, and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not going to shy away from the fact that flaws and all, I think mm-hmm. this is great. But, mm-hmm. as we've talked about, I always thought that there was that gigantic plot hole mm-hmm. of the, of, we've talked mm-hmm. about, about yeah, right. the, uh, they come back from 1944 to mm-hmm. 1992, and they're still talking about Godzilla, and they know what Godzilla is, but the movie fixes that problem because mm-hmm. Godzilla did still exist. Mm-hmm. So, they didn't erase it from the timeline, so mm. that's why the deal is. And so, in my research, in my confusion, I reached out for help to that wonderful place we know as porn sites. No, no, uh, not porn, uh, not porn sites. I'm, I'm wrong, wrong, wrong. To uh, the internet, it is. Mm. That's where porn yeah. sites. 
let's let's ignore the porn site thing. Mm-hmm. Let's go on to the sites where people talk about Godzilla movies, mm-hmm. and where yes. they do it in an academic and very interesting yeah. fashion. And there's this fellow who came up with the perfect timeline because everything that he this. talks about, uh-huh. everything he specifies and lays out, is actually in the movies. Okay, because I, I may, if this is good, I may sick him on the Paul Nash on the El Hombre Lobo films. <laughs> good point. <laughs> okay, this article is by a guy named Keith Aiken. Mm-hmm. And you can find it online. I, I, I suggest that you do. It's called Godzilla vs. King Ghidorah, Time Travel and the Origins of Godzilla. Mm-hmm. Now, he goes through this, and he, he his whole idea is that it's total bullshit to start writing up fan fiction to try to fill plot mm-hmm. holes or anything right. like that. Right. He says, that's it's total a, crap. You don't mm-hmm. do that. You don't pay attention to the comic books or anything like that. They're mm-hmm. fun, and they, they're yeah, fun but they're, things, yeah. but... You got to stick to the movies if you mm-hmm. want to if you want to mm-hmm. hang on to it. And he says the thing is, that. you can stick to these movies, mm-hmm. and it lays it all out there. Okay. It just makes the mistake of not like double or triple underlining certain pieces mm-hmm. of information that are there, but that if you pay attention, they're there. Okay. So he points out that in Godzilla versus Biollante, one of the things that we find out in that movie, the movie points out that the the Japanese forces, the Japanese government, and the 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 military forces cannot track Godzilla when the monster's moving underwater. And that's a very important thing when you get to the next movie, which is this one. Mm-hmm. Now, the first obvious hint that he talks about in Godzilla vs. King Ghidra is that everybody still remembers Godzilla. Something is up. They get back, and everybody still knows who Godzilla is, where if he was erased from the timeline, there's no way that you should know who he is. Right. If he were erased, no one would be aware of the monster. All the death and destruction that Godzilla caused in the previous two films would not have happened. Mm. None of that is true, though. In fact, the later uh, Heisei movies would refer back to events from those films, so they clearly were not erased from the timeline. The only corroboration that Godzilla had disappeared comes from the Japanese self-defense force that could not track Godzilla's underwater movements in Biollante. Yeah, okay. Okay. You see, here's the thing. Mike senses Godzilla, not the dinosaur, she senses Godzilla. Right, right. Moving slowly in the Bering Sea. And the satellite photos of the location were shown in the movie indicates that she's right. Mm-hmm. Not knowing that Godzilla was never erased from history, Terasawa, the writer, mm-hmm. tries to figure out what went wrong. He digs through the archives uh, and finds a news report from the 70s about a, nuclear, a Russian nuclear submarine sinking in the exact spot where the dinosaur had been placed. Terasawa realizes that this nuclear accident mutated the dinosaur into Godzilla, who first attacked in 1984. Mm-hmm. His theory had been wrong. What he wrote in his book was wrong. By going to 44 and moving the dinosaur to the Bering Sea, the time travelers didn't uncreate the original Godzilla. They caused the creation of the second Godzilla. Mm-hmm. That means that the Godzilla mm-hmm. that appeared in 54 mm-hmm. isn't the dinosaur. Yeah. Okay. The first Godzilla, the one that this movie is, the, it's the only one yeah. of the original yeah. films that it references and right. says and says exists, yeah. has it's nothing different. to do with the dinosaur that po- that the Godzilla that popped up in '84. That monster's gone and dead. The oxygen mm. destroyer did away with it. Okay, okay. Uh, in route, the sub is, inter- is intercepted by the uh, by Godzilla, and remember, this is the Godzilla from Biollante, and in Biollante, mm-hmm. he was infected with that uh, virus or yeah. bacteria or whatever right. yeah. that knocked him out, that yeah. that made him so weak. Right. It's the nuclear fuel uh-huh. that revives him. Ah, gotcha. Okay. Gotcha. Okay, I get it. Now I'm with you. So when he sank into the Bering Sea, <laughs> yeah, the nuclear fuel from the from the crash Russian sub. He absorbs that, 
reawakens, mm-hmm. and it's the second sub, the one that's not supposed to right, exist right. because it's Japanese in, it's exactly. Japanese industry that's created it. Right, superpowers him. Yeah. So uh, Godzilla attacks a sub, absorbs nuclear energy, which burns off the infection. The infusion of radiation also increases Godzilla's side from 80, meter, 80 meters to 100 meters. Mm-hmm. And by the time you get to the to uh, Godzilla versus Destroyer, they also repeatedly refer to the death of the first Godzilla, which confirms that the Godzilla that came along in 84 was the second of these beasts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, ex- and suggests that the Oxygen Destroyer be recreated to kill Godzilla, quote, quote, straight from the film, the way we killed the first Godzilla. Yeah. Once again... They're stating that there were two Godzillas, the 54 original Mm -hmm. and the Heisei Godzilla. Okay? So he lays out the timeline. He's gone through this. I'm I'm short-forming this as much as I can, but here's his timeline for it. Mm -hmm. Pre-1944, there's the legend of Odo Island, which tells of a sea monster they call Godzilla. Sure. Right? That's from the original original film. film. Okay. In 1944, there's a dinosaur on Lagos Island that is then moved by the time travelers to the Bering Sea. Mm Mm-hmm. In March of 54, Bikini Island H-bomb test. Later in 54, the events in Godzilla happened. The original Mm -hmm. film, Mm -hmm. uh, mutated and driven from its underwater environment by H-bomb tests, the first Godzilla appears on Odo Island, attacks Japan, and is killed by the oxygen destroyer. Mm -hmm. Got it? Mm -hmm. In the late 70s, the Russian nuclear submarine accident happens in the Bering Sea and transforms the the Lagos dinosaur into the second Godzilla. 1984, the second Godzilla is awakened by a volcanic eruption, mm-hmm. attacks Japan, and is dumped into a volcano. volcano. 1990, Godzilla versus Biollante. Godzilla escapes from the uh, the volcano, battles Biollante, is infected by the virus. Mm-hmm. 92, Godzilla versus King Ghidorah, the film we're talking about tonight. 93, Godzilla versus Mothra. 94, Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla 2. Mm-hmm. In which the prehistoric egg found on Adana Island hatches a baby Godzilla. Mm-hmm. Godzilla versus Space Godzilla in '95 refers to events in Biollante, proving the film is still part of the timeline. Mm-hmm. Baby Godzilla becomes Little Godzilla, mm-hmm. and in '96 we have the final film in the series, Godzilla versus Destroya, mm-hmm. and it refers to the events in the original Godzilla and states clearly that the original and the Heisei Godzillas are not the same monster. Mm-hmm. In this film, the Heisei Godzilla dies. Godzilla Jr. then becomes the, the third, third Godzilla. Godzilla. Right. Okay. I like it. I like it. He lays it very... Believe yeah. me, I'm short-forming his description of this. Seek, yeah, this no. ar- seek this article out online. Godzilla vs. King Ghidorah, Time Travel and the Origins of Godzilla mm-hmm. by, uh, by Mr. Uh, Aiken. It's well worth your time because he has spared no expense and, and thought this through. And all of his evidence... Is right there in those movies. Mm-hmm. He's not inventing anything. Yeah, he's not creating yeah. anything out of whole cloth. It's all in the films, and he's right. The only problem is that the movies really didn't hit some of these points yeah. as hard as they should mm-hmm. to make this stuff clear. But then mm-hmm. I would argue that it doesn't really need to be that clear. You're just enjoying mm-hmm. a good, a good yeah. fun film. Yeah. But yeah. it's also built right into those movies. Mm-hmm. Here it is. Mm-hmm. Cool. I love that. That's yeah. the kind of stuff that yeah, really sure, gets my yeah. geek, my oh, geek yeah. juices flowing. I love <laughs> it right. so much. That's right. It's so cool. It I just cool. I love this kind of thing. Well, I will say, uh, uh, did you have any more? No, no, no. That's, I, was, that's, I will also say Godzilla is good. <laughs> so we will just, we'll just end on that note. So. Okay, yeah, so um, a couple of things story-wise I wanted to bring up here. We talked about things we'd change. Uh, one, um, the character of Mickey Sagusa is a little bit of a frustration over the course of the entire series. This would be the young lady with the telepathic ability. Yes, I just 
always I always gave Toho props for having a character that actually continued having that much continuity yeah. and having a continuing character. Uh, and this is only the second film she was in, so it's not as problematic in this film. I think as the series goes on, now I may not know this until I really do a full rewatch of the entire series, which I haven't done in a long time, but my feeling is that her character, as the films go on, becomes less and less of really having, uh, you know, uh, contributing really much to what goes on as far as ours being having being a dynamic character. You know, okay. she's, she's uh, really affecting what's going on other than to just say, I sense Godzilla, you know, that kind of thing. I think where she begins, I think they set up some possibly really, really interesting stuff in Godzilla vs. Battleante because there's that scene where she has a really, really direct, like, obvious communication with him both of them that he senses too you know that there's some yeah. sort of mental and they never really go much further they never go that. back to that never i mean it's it's again other than her her being able now in this film you know the fact that it's it's put to some use where she can tell in some, how in some cases he's changed you know how the godzilla that comes back from the, after he's devoured the nuclear sub and how mentally she's sensing something different about him right or or when she sees the godzilla source and she can tell that it's him but I think, like, in general, they could have put her powers and maybe her connection to Godzilla a little bit done more with that. And I would just feel like she's, unfortunately, I think, a part of this series that kind of doesn't really reach its full potential, you know? I can see what you're saying. It's almost as if they set this character up with the idea yeah, that somewhere down the road she was going to play a bigger part yeah. in, a fu- in a future story. Yeah. But she never does. Yeah, she's, like, always there, but just never quite, I think, what they could have done. But uh, uh, there's one, uh, another thing I thought uh, that could have been done a little better on this, on the, in the jungle sequence, I think it was a bad choice to use the same actors that they've had as the survivors of Lagos Island, the soldiers, you yeah. know? yeah. Because we're talking fifty years after yeah. it happened, and they're using the same actors playing the uh, to play themselves in on on the Lagos Island thing, That's and they true. try and make them look younger, you know. But I think that it's just too much time has passed. I think they should have actually gotten different actors, younger actors, and I think that's one place where you're right. They could have yeah. used her character, the psychic character. She could have identified said like that's and that would actually clue you in that oh she's she's she can read human, you know. I mean, yeah. she's actually she really is a psychic. Because she could tell that, yes, that's Shindo. I, rec- I can tell that's him or something. I think that would have been more effective. So a little thing like that. And the only other thing I want to mention before I start just telling all the things I love about this film real quick is, but uh, I think that the... I did have a problem with the characterization of the two Futurians, the, the Caucasian ones, yeah. in the sense that I think that they're just a little too heavy-handedly supervillainish, you know, like too, 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 too... <laughs> Because the thing is, is I think I think their motivation for what they're doing could almost make a little twisted sense. Like you could see what they're trying to do. Like they're, motiv- I agree. And I, I think there, there, there's a way for them yeah. to have been the villains of the story without yes. being so super villainy. Yeah, yeah, I think they're just a little too mustache twirling, you know, gleeful about their, you know, and yeah. and, and uh, you know, again, it's it's you know, I know it's not the main thrust of the film, you know, and every characterization can be right, but I just think that would have been more effective if it could have said like, hey, these guys are they've gotten twisted with what they wanted to do. Like, or no, their original intentions. We're noble. Their goal, but their, gone yeah, off the, their, their goal, their goal is a good yeah, idea, yeah. but the way they're going about it is incredibly yeah. mean spirited yeah. and wrong. So right. yeah, but uh, but anyway, uh, but yes, this uh, this film. Let's talk about Godzilla himself. Just looks fantastic in these films, and that was a major oh, God, push yes. for 
Um, the Godzilla and through the 90s films are some of the best Godzilla designs they ever did. Um, I, I love the fact, you know, we always talk about Godzilla's always had a little bit of a of a beer gut, you know, a little bit of a, <laughs> a radiation gut or whatever you want to call it. But uh, and this Godzilla is almost like he's been bench pressing the Mothra larva because he's actually got pecs, you know, which is, which is you know, which I think is like really makes him, more, you know, more more effective. You know? So, and, uh, uh, I hadn't thought of it at all, but you're right. I mean, I th- I've always loved the look of the Godzilla in the Heisei series. I think he looks mm-hmm. phenomenal. Oh, it does. And, and it, I and mean, the, and there's, the there's some yeah. of the some of the some of the Godzilla looks mm. in um, the Millennium series are are similar, and therefore they're they're something that I like just as much. But mm. yeah, mm. throughout the Heisei series, the '90s films, I yeah. think he's freaking awesome. And they do, a, and and some of the close up models that they built for facial expressions are probably the best in the entire Godzilla series, as oh, far as like the way his face muscles can move and the way the expressions he can make, even down to little things like just his nose flaring and that kind of stuff is just amazing well, that, to me. Uh, that, that shot of his uh, that that. Damn near prehensile tongue too. Oh yeah, it's like holy crap. Where did, yeah. I mean, yeah, they did. Yeah. They did. They did some great. They did some great work on this stuff. Yeah. Early on, when the monster stuff starts happening, like when Gidra first appears and he's first attacking the city, there's a little bit of a like. First of all, there's a little bit of concern because there's a little bit of budget cutting during those original scenes where Gidra is attacking the city because there's times when things are exploding and it's obviously explosion is superimposed over like a city instead of like actual models and cities, you know, kind of yeah. blowing up. But you realize as the film goes on that they've kind of push and saving the big stuff. It gets bigger as it goes along. The fight, the first fight with Godzilla and Ghidra, of course, is not in the city. It's on this beautiful landscape, you know, the building. Yeah. It's just gorgeous. But at the same time, you're thinking, okay, which I think I've read before too, they, they, they say don't make the presumption that, that it's it saves that much budget to make Godzilla fight on just some big landscape than in the city because the detail they put in those landscapes is pretty extreme too. And they talk about how it's really not that big a budget cut. But again, that's that fight is great. But man, that last fight when they actually get into the cities is amazing. Yeah. And the cool thing about the Heisei series and starting with Godzilla eighty four or eighty five, depending on which country you want to talk about, which released in. But um, you know, by the time they start doing those Godzilla movies, the buildings in japan had actually grown to such an extent that godzilla is no longer the tallest thing on the horizon and it makes which is one of the most interesting things about some of those shots of him in modern at at that point modern day uh, tokyo is that yeah those buildings do tower over him even even though he is really Mm -hmm. large or larger than he had been before those Mm -hmm. buildings are still dwarfing him Mm -hmm. and uh and it makes for them able to do so many more interesting things like having buildings fall on the monsters and having them blow holes through buildings and you know, it's 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 a totally different perspective on that. So yeah, I just uh, I, I I think that the special effects in this film, all Godzilla films are always going to have like special effects you look at and you're like, oh, we'd like to have that one back. And then the stuff that just makes your jaw drop. And this one is full of both, but it's mostly got stuff that's just fantastic. It's really impressive. Yeah, my, my only my only complaints about any of the special effects in the movie, mm. quite honestly, do come down to what I've already talked yeah, about. Yeah, right. With the, 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 the stuff with the Android. The, yeah, with the Android. Mm. But the uh, the other things, there are a couple of shots that mm. that are to your point <laughs> about uh, some of the stuff being a little budget conscious, which is that uh, there are a few explosions that are that are real explosions on some of those city sets that happen just a little too soon, just yeah. a little before mm-hmm. they should. Mm-hmm. Like uh, the the mm-hmm. like Godzilla's foot is coming down, and before the foot yeah. has contact with this smaller building, it blows up yeah. as it, before his foot even makes <laughs> yeah. contact with mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. There's one shot like that, and it's like, yeah, you kind of wish you had that back, let mm-hmm. him do it do mm-hmm. it again, but at the same time. Out of hell with it, man! Yeah. This movie's rocking. So. Oh, it is, it is, and and we, you know, when we did GMK uh, when we were doing the more back in our controversial kaiju series, and we talked about one of the things that was controversial about that was the fact that Ghidra was actually a good monster in that. But yeah. I had totally missed; I, it had totally slipped by me the fact that really you could say in this film, 
is really the first time Gidder is ever because when he comes back as a cyborg, he's suddenly on the side of good, you know, yeah, even though true. he's created, even though he's being controlled and created. Essentially, uh, it's Ghidra is suddenly the the good monster, and I'd, I'd totally forgotten about that till I watched this film again. Well, he's know? being controlled. Though. I mean, he's being ridden like he's a damn giant mo- giant robot. Giant robot, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was a great. Just I love that callback to another great aspect of Japanese culture is the whole uh, robot uh, uh, controlled with by its human controller, you know, that kind of thing. And very cool. So stuff. yeah, but yeah, no, this film is great. I mean, I think I, I mean I would I give it an eight on that one on the that's, scale that's, there. You know, on, give the, it an on eight, the one to ten scale, that's exactly what I gave it. Yeah, to. yeah, yeah. Love this movie. Love it's, it. Yeah. Love it death i think it's uh, it's definitely one of uh, my favorite of the entire run of godzilla films mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's not up there with the uh, shin godzilla and the or the original mm-hmm. but my god yeah. it's good i put it in the you know, we've got now roughly 30 godzilla films to choose from i would definitely put it in top 10 top third you know oh, the godzilla put it, films and you know, oh yeah definitely this is know, definitely probably, top probably, 10 probably like easy maybe around five, i haven't maybe. really tried to, i still have never attempted to make that list someday i probably will but I still, <laughs> it's intimidating to me to sit down and actually face that but i would probably this would this would probably end up fifth or sixth something like that you know as far as as far as my favorite I, I, I think it's I think it's fantastic too yeah. and I there's a there's a part of me that just wants to rock on through the rest of the Heisei series well, and watch yeah. the rest of like them. I said that, that, like I said the follow up the next one the uh, Godzilla versus or Mo, the Godzilla versus Mothra the Battle for Earth is they call it whatever man it's a kick ass film it's pretty damn good it's pretty amazing I'll never forget I bought that mm. I bought that sucker on bootleg VHS mm. from Video Search of Miami no did you <laughs> <laughs> nice yeah. Oh, it was so beautiful. <laughs> I'm sure they were ripping it straight from the from the VHS <laughs> oh, yeah, in Japan. No doubt, it's no like, oh, oh, it was such a great film. I will never forget that movie. Anyway, thank cool. you, everyone. Let's uh, yeah. let's uh, take a quick break. And we'll come back and uh, let you know what we're going to be doing in the future on both podcasts. Okay. And uh, then we will let you go. I am Dr. Lee Cushing. Welcome to my Chamber of Horrors. Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors is a serialized monster rally novel in the tradition of the classic Universal and Hammer horror films. It's written by Stephen D. Sullivan, the award-winning author of White Zombie, Daikaiju Attack, Manos, The Hands of Fate, and the original chill role-playing game. My goal is to recreate the thrills of the monster versus monster films that we all love. We'll have vampires, werewolves, mummies, psychic twins, and scheming madmen, and that's just in the first storyline. Now you can get Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors and other monster stories sent directly to your email for as little as a dollar a month. For just two dollars, you'll get all the chapters in advance, plus bonus stories and other perks. Sign up now at CushingHorrors.com or visit SDSullivan.com for a Patreon link. I do hope you've enjoyed your visit. Please, come again, and remember... The chamber is always waiting for its next victim. Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Ah, necrophilia. Ah, yeah. ah, ah. It's a dead issue, man. Don't, don't push it. Cinema PsyOps is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, no one should have to watch this? No one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked, crude. I know, really. Right? It's the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore. I am, in the most sincerest of senses, disappointed in you. It takes a powerful goddess like Connie, jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it. Oh, I'm still tripping out over that. Even as a kid, I was like, I gotta find a girl like that. Every week, I, I get a new look of disappointment that I never thought I could get it's out of. It's unimaginable. At 12 years old, you should not be watching this one. 
Obviously. At 13, you should not be. 14, you shouldn't be. I'm not entirely sure even 17-year-olds should be watching this. Just because you're offended by something doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that it doesn't exist. Watching this film again, I had all of this like little nerd glee with everything that kept Little history up. doll yeah, popping up absolutely. at you. So I totally loved this film. Hey, I know why you, you know, couldn't see that. It's because your brain's warped from watching this shit at 12 years old. Yeah, this is this is a rough movie. I told you ahead of time when we were getting ready to do it that it was How did you watch movie. this shit at 12? Because physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. Listen to Cinema Psyops. to currently to the end of our latest kaiju series the end of the Gidra files we've had a great time with it and appreciate all your feedback and hope you've enjoyed it um we don't know when or if we're going to be revisiting the world of toho and godzilla uh for more podcasts but i suspect we probably will but in the meantime uh if you have any ideas about other ways other type ways we could group these films or, or or put them group them thematically or just tell us some of the films you'd like to hear us cover as far as kaiju films toho films that sort of thing uh non-toho films like the gamma films anything like that you know throw us your ideas and, and we're going to kind of stew on it for a little while and, and maybe yeah. come back with some stuff we're gonna we're gonna think about it we've got a few other uh irons in the fire for the next mm. few months and then mm-hmm. we're going to make a decision on where, where troy and i troy and i want to continue going through uh uh some you know going through films here on the bloody pit mm-hmm and of course, one of the joys of the Bloody Pit is that we can go in any direction we want. Right. And the and sometimes do within several within the same episode <laughs> within the yeah. same episode. But one of the problems with that is that once you reach the end of a particular road, you have mm-hmm. to kind of make a decision on which road you take next. Yeah. And we're still trying to figure out which way to turn. Mm-hmm. So if you would like to, uh, I don't know, hold up a road sign, road mm-hmm. sign beside mm-hmm. the road, and just say, "Hey, mm-hmm. go this way," yeah, uh, we're more than open to it. I mean, because right. we've tossed out different ideas like fifties mm-hmm. monster movies, mm-hmm. Gamera movies, mm-hmm. the uh, Mothra films, the yeah. Mothra films, the, uh, the non giant monster Toho science fiction movies mm-hmm. uh we even played around with the idea of doing the german krimi films just yeah. because we were really interested in learning about those right. and we we mm-hmm. just don't know as much about them as we would like to mm-hmm. uh, there are lots of different places we could go and lots of different things we could do but troy and i want to keep moving in uh, uh a direction that keeps us interested and uh we've come to the end of this end of this mm-hmm. ser- little little yeah. mini series and we want something new something different that's right so if you've got any ideas, like you said, let us know. Mm-hmm. And the places you can do that are mm-hmm. on the uh, Bloody Pit Facebook page. You can search for the Bloody Pit over on the old Book of Faces, and I think you will mm-hmm. locate it pretty mm-hmm. easily. Or you mm-hmm. can write directly to us. The email address is thebloodypit at gmail.com. We'll be glad to hear from you. Anything you got to say, any comments, any ideas, we'll be glad to hear them. So uh, before we let you go, let's let you know what we're doing in the next mm-hmm. few months. Uh, next month... 
you'll be able to join us over on the Nashy Cast feed, where we're going to do another Beyond Nashy episode, mm-hmm. uh, focusing on another Spanish horror film that has just gotten a, a Blu-ray release here yeah. just recently, uh, The House That Screamed from 1969. Uh, this will allow us to do uh, <laughs> another film by the filmmaker who made Who Could Kill a Child. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a matter of fact, this will be his other feature film. Yeah. This will allow us to... We can say we've covered his whole filmography. <laughs> all of his feature films we will have now covered. There's no way we're ever diving into all of his television work because that's where most of his career was made. <laughs> yeah. But this will give us 100% of that particular <laughs> filmmaker's over. Mm-hmm. So, that's next month over on the Nashi cast, The House That Screamed. The month after that, come back here and Troy and I are going to sit down with our dear friend Jeff Nelson, the man responsible for the artwork that you see that graces each of these podcasts. Mm -hmm. Thank you once again, Jeff. Oh, yes. And we're going to do something that is uh, from Jeff's mind. This is something that he's requested that we all sit down and cover. We're going to talk about Lucio Fulci's film, The Beyond. Yeah, yeah. I think we may be the first podcast to have ever talked about it. (laughs) <laughs> You're joking. You're joking, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, for us, this constitutes a blockbuster. You know, this constitutes us talking about a popular, you know, because cause up to now, everything we've covered on uh, with Jeff, uh, as far as Italian films, has been uh, has been pretty obscure. But this is one film that generally cannot be called obscure among people who listen to our podcast. No, no, no. The Beyond, uh, besides being possibly my favorite of Fulci's uh, horror films, mm-hmm. uh, is definitely one that... Uh, Whew, man, it's been released repeatedly yeah. on video mm-hmm. uh, for, oh man, decades at this point. Mm-hmm. I mean, under different titles, both The Beyond and Seven Doors to Death, mm-hmm. Seven Doors to Hell, and mm-hmm. whatever other titles they would slip it out on the video mm-hmm. under. And mm-hmm. So uh, that's in two months. We'll be talking about The Beyond right here on The Bloody Pit. And mm-hmm. uh, next month, over on the Nashicast, The House That Screamed. After that... Who knows? Who the heck knows, man? We, we know. got to fig- we got we got to figure it out. I know. Got to start scheduling up. But uh, well, think uh, I want to say once again, congratulations on the on the fiftieth uh, bloody pit. I wish that I could have had like ten or fifteen or so people back there in your closet to bring out and say, "Remember this voice?" <laughs> you know, kind of a "This is your life" sort of thing. But unfortunately, I couldn't. Uh, Unfortunately, I couldn't remember uh, some that, of those but, people you would have been able to bring out. I wouldn't have wanted to hear. Yeah, <laughs> and they should have stayed in that fucking closet. That's right. You know. So, once again, everybody, thank you for tuning in and listening to us babble on about a Godzilla film. It's something that we enjoy doing. Mm-hmm. We're just thrilled that people are willing to listen to us. So, oh, and I, watch for that Mondo Macabro Inquisition uh, Blu-ray with our audio commentary. Ah, uh, we're so excited about that. I got the feeling that I'm gonna as soon as that thing is available for people yeah. to buy, I'm probably going to be screaming from the rafters about it. Yeah. I may never listen to it though. I don't know if I ever bring myself to listen to us again on our, you know. I will have to listen to it. Yeah. Just, I'll, I'll yeah. be honest. There'll be the, uh, there'll be the goose chills all mm, over me the whole yeah. time I'm doing it because there's this paranoid fear that I have that mm. it's just not going to work. <laughs> that all the work I put into editing it together is just going to be for nothing, and I'm going to sit there staring at it and going, yeah. "Oh my God, we fucked it all up." <laughs> and I'm just, I'm going to feel so terrible. Yeah. I know I'm, I'm going to feel awful, but. I'm going to have to do it. That's going to have to be the, probably the first thing that I do as soon as I have the disc in my hand. Just, okay, <laughs> let's see if this works. Oh, God. There's this there's this little fear, this mm. little fear in the back of my mind. And this is just a little side light. The, the, the podcast is officially over, people. You can just go away now if yeah. you don't want to hear this. But i got to tell Troy this. So right. listen to right. Troy. Right. There's this fear I, I've always had. You hear all those horror stories about people who um, reach 
some particular goal in their life, mm-hmm. and it's a goal that they've set for themselves and maybe not even communicated to the people around them, but they reach it. And once they've reached it, there's this feeling within them mm-hmm. that they that they that this mm-hmm. goal represents some magical thing that allows mm-hmm. them to uh, um, be dicks, <laughs> be assholes. <laughs> and there's this little thing in the back of my head. It just mm. it's like I, it's like yeah. huh, I wonder if I should hire somebody to just walk behind me and go beware the Ides of March. And then there's a part of me that goes, no, you already do that to yourself, <laughs> dumbass. You're always undercutting yourself, and you're always making yourself feel like you're some kind of incompetent boob. So, oh God, if you, if you ever thought that I was going to do, I was going to finally do a commentary track mm. and then feel as if mm. I was some kind of God and everyone should bow down before me. <laughs> Trust me, I'm far too insecure for that to ever happen. <laughs> but Troy, Troy, you feel free to get the big head oh, yes, and, right. and, and yeah. lord it all over us. <laughs> Mr. Musician God. Yeah. So. Here I'm the one who's saying, like, I don't think I'm even going to listen to this thing. You know? So I don't think you have to worry about that from me either. Oh, my Lord. I might just listen to a little bit of the, the first few seconds. Hello and welcome. That's us. Okay, turn it off. Okay, good. Turn it off. The first comment about the hanging, riding corpse. It's just, okay, we're good. It's there. It's actually on the disc. Thank God. We're done. Well, folks, you didn't need to listen to that, but I want to thank you for once again. And I guess we will say sayonara now. So... Thank you again. My name is Rod Barnett. I'm Troy Gwynn. Bye now.